0: A message from your Shriners Hospitals.
1: You know, kids, the kitchen ain't a playground. There's a lot of danger hiding in here. That dangling cord can be a disaster. Especially if they grab hold and yank me. My cord should be up. Hey, you said it. Keep dangling cords out of reach. Delicious cookies can be a tempting treat. I should be over there. Keep goodies away from heat. So kids don't get more than a treat. There's a lot of things in here that can burn you. Oh, me. By itself, it's harmless, but filled with scalding hot water. I just wait for a child to grab my handle and... (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, a really bad burn. So to stay out of hot water, keep those pot handles turned in.
2: Who did frame Roger Rabbit?
0: Tonight, an (laughs) in-depth investigation. We will open doors, break down windows, and find out... Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers presents "Who Framed <laughs> Roger Rabbit." Yes, yes, people, we are back, back we, again. We are back. Yeah, once again, and we're uh, we're always back. We never, we never front. really go anywhere. We're never front. We're never we're front. front. We're always on the back. We're, we're on the front end. It's a, it's the back end of the show. So. <sighs> We're here already. We're getting too old for this shit, Dion. I know. The staying up is for the birds. <laughs> I can remember being like... We're going to f- start doing these at like 7 p.m. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can remember being like little and being at my grandfather's house and like, I don't know, I was four or five and I used to ask my grandfather, when, when do you get up in the morning? And he'd be like, I get up when the birds get up. And I'm like, wow, that must be early. But now it's like, that's like you know, five or six or I don't know. Yeah, my grandparents used to get up so early. you know. But you think that they, you need less sleep as you're older. I guess.
2: Well, my grandfather would sleep all day, so that's he true. Slept all. He slept all the time.
0: You do like a lot of you do like a lot of that napping. <laughs> he napped. He, <laughs> yeah. he
2: was a napper. Yeah, but yeah, because like my mom, we would sleep at my grandparents' house because when I was growing up, my grandparents lived about a block
0: away. Yeah, as we touched on last week's Dirty Dancing podcast. <laughs> so uh, not to drop anything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, so I would sleep over lot, but I was always afraid to sleep upstairs, so I always slept downstairs where my grandfather slept. And, but they would get up at, like, 4, four in the morning. They're yeah, doing yeah, stuff. Like, you know, making coffee, cooking breakfast. Well, where
0: I live now, I live in an apartment building, and uh, a lot of the my neighbors are elderly, and I'll t- be taking my dog out at, like, 2 or 3 in the morning for, like, the last walk or wee or pee and shit. And I'd hear, I'll hear everybody. They're up doing yeah. stuff. You know, the TVs are on, and they're moving. So I don't know if a lot of people, like, may sleep with the TV or radio on, or they're still doing stuff. You know, I mean, I, I'm still kind of a night owl, how I kind of have like jazz hours where, you know, I work late, so I'm up late, but then I, now it sucks. I get up early anyway. So I'm only getting like, you know, Yeah, I hear
2: you. I'm like that too.
0: No, I, it's like for me, I don't know. It's weird. But it's like I don't want to go to sleep because I feel like I'm missing the night. I'm like I, I hold out as much as possible, but then, but then I wake I, up. But then I don't want to sleep
2: late because then I'm missing the
0: day. Yeah, exactly. I used to not. <laughs> so I only
2: sleep like four hours.
0: Yeah, I used to it used to be to me like I used to love sleeping in, but now I feel so guilty sleeping in. You know that you're. You know I get up at eleven. I'm like, oh my god, look what time it is. Oh, I'm, this is insane. I used to sleep at like two or three. I mean, it was. Yeah, like, yeah. Jesus Christ, I'm not gonna let a kid like that sleep. You know. <laughs> Well, I yeah, saw. I remember when
2: I used to go to my dad's house on the weekends. He would wake us up at nine.
0: Yeah, just do find something to do, you know. But it's it's a whole different world now as we're getting older. So the point is, it's like you know, these are get, we're getting so late staying up with these things, doing these darn things, sleeping over and stuff. I'm have you know, to
2: start watching the movie, take a nap,
0: and yeah. And then but then you know what also <laughs> happens with me is when I take the nap and I sleep too long, you wake up. I'm all like, uh, like uh, I'm all uh, what's the befuddled? I don't know where I am, and like <laughs> yeah. it's dark I, for some
2: reason. If I nap, I sweat like. Crazy. Yeah, you wake
0: up and you're you're just covered and you're like, what the <laughs> hell? Is going on? my shirts like I just like jumped in the pool. <laughs> yeah, like what the <laughs> hell is <laughs> going on? Blood. Why is there blood all <laughs> over my shirt? And you took an AMB and You have no history of you know no memory of committing a murder at two blocks away. But yeah, I, I, that's the problem. Is like I like sleeping. I'll nap in the morning. Like I'll get up in the morning and then nap for an hour or so before I go to work. But then when I get home or late, if I na- nap late in the night, it'll screw my whole night up. I'll get up and I'll be like confused and I'll be like crying. I don't know where I am and it's dark out now. What's <laughs> happening? What happened? Yeah, where is it? Why are we going to bed again? And then you can't sleep at night. But anyway, I'm Dion Baya. And I am Jay Blake. And we are here again for another episode of Saturday Night Movie.
2: Sleepovers.
0: Dinner now. And today we're doing a movie from, I thought, from 1987. Yes, I think we, if I recall correctly, Yeah, we, we our teased last staple for <laughs> that the 1987 movie. And we were c- <laughs> completely wrong. I, for, for all my life, I remember this being 1987 until we went to go watch the darn thing, and it's 1988. So this
2: is the 29th know, anniversary. He, he, cracked, he brought out the VHS copy. You yeah, look, cracked, you're reading it all, the back as yeah. we're rewinding because you forgot to rewind yeah, to the last Yeah, 20 years time you ago. <laughs> and
0: you're reading
2: the back, you're like, holy shit, this is not 1987. <laughs> this is 1987. 1988,
0: and then meanwhile, the, 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 my reminders busted, so it didn't it didn't pop up, so it's like, and we're, we're like, we're looking at the box, like, this is 88, <laughs> like, it's, it's 87, though, I thought this was 88, this is, so I got confused, but. I have to
2: admit that this was never my movie. I believe I saw it twice at the theater.
0: This is the... F- This movie is the first
2: movie I ever saw twice in
0: the theater as well.
2: I believe I saw it twice at the theater. I think I saw it with like my mom, and then I also saw it with my dad. Sweet. And then I don't think I saw it until in its entirety until tonight.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you never. (laughs) I think you're right because growing up, we we've never when we when I brought it up, you kind of skirted the issue. You're like, yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah, (laughs) I guess. You know, like
2: I understand the. I think also like I wasn't that into those kinds of cartoons when I was growing up. Yeah. Like I didn't really develop an appreciation for like Looney Tunes and uh, you know, Chuck Jones has become like a big hero of mine as a director, uh, but I didn't really develop that appreciation until later. So as a movie, like it was never that big. I was never a, like we've discussed in previous Disney things. I was never really a Disney cartoon kid. Yeah. So it was like... It was cool. I saw it twice. I remember enjoying it, but it was like never my...
0: You never like, revisit, revisit. go back yeah. to
2: check it out kind of thing. Yeah, for
0: me, I, I saw it twice in the theater, and then right around the time it came out, they, they put on TV, they did like a big broadcast special of a special called uh, Roger Rabbit and the Secrets of Toontown, hosted by Joanna Cassidy, who's the girl who plays uh, Bob Hodgkin's love interest in the movie. And uh, it was one of those movies... Uh, specials that, that came out in, in um, promotion with the movie. So everybody contributed and all that. And we taped that thing. And I say it only maybe aired once. But then it uh, you could probably know growing up, you had like, say, six or seven tapes that had six hours of stuff and you just watched <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. So that became a staple. It was like... And if I, I had
2: that, honestly, if I had that, yeah, I probably would have watched that a lot because I always which is, like, how my love for yeah, wanting to was, make movies, movies started
0: was because I always would watch how it, Like, of.
2: how to make, you know, The Making Of, special effects show, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and this
0: thing was so fascinating to me. And this was, like, bookended with, uh, I forget what I had, like, on the next part of the tape. I might have had, like, a... Uh, like the, the great pumpkin Charlie Brown, or I had something, I forget what I had right after the darn thing. I'll have to think about it because it'll come to me. But like, I just watched the crap out of that, that one special and seeing how they did everything. Cause again, this is, we, we keep hitting on these movies, but this is completely pre CGI. Yeah, yeah. And it's like a, it's another one of those love letters to like that bygone era. You'll never see again. So it was astounding to see what went into making this movie. And then it was also cool that the special had went such hand in hand with getting Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis and even Chuck Jones and everybody to like be interviewed for it. It wasn't like an an outside company going to do it. So that was also so embracing that they you know they're talking to everybody. They even I think animated some stuff to rot for of Roger Rabbit to put into the special. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were
2: trying to sell it because at the time it was Roger Rabbit was like the highest. Like the biggest budget for an animated feature.
0: Yeah, of all time. At like there. ever. So
2: I think they were like, let's, go. we, gotta, yeah, <laughs> we gotta put we gotta all the stuff in. It, you know? <laughs> and it was
0: it also, I, I don't know if it still is today, but it has a record. It was up to that time the longest credit sequence because of how many people were involved in that darn thing. You know? Yeah. Um.
2: Now you watch it, it's like, you know, you don't even see any black on the screen. It's just like, well, just fear in just the just movie theater. It's, <laughs> just, <laughs> it's like white a spotlight <laughs> you of when all the
0: animators. Yeah. Go. <laughs> And it's all like, you know, Asian or Japanese or Chinese or Korean. I don't know. I can't I can't pronounce anybody's name. I'm like, wow. We can't even pronounce like regular American yeah. names. <laughs> I can't pronounce Smith or Jones, you know? And then you see like, you know, I don't know, Michio Kosen and I'm like, "Oh, arigato jamasa. You know, and I it's so it's just yeah. Um so that was also a, a a kick for me to have to to rewatch this special on this tape and uh this was part of my childhood because then, you know, as we psychoanalyze each other on this podcast, this was speaking to me, you know, I, I discovered, like, gangsters in, like, yeah, the yeah. 80s. Well, I was thinking of that when we know? were
2: watching it. Like, this is, like, right up,
0: you know, like a nine-year-old D. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's And it's also, it's, it's stuff that, like, I've even put into, like, stuff I've written. It's, like, it has elements of this. Like, all this, you know, yeah. the private detective. And, I mean, even now, I still, I read all... You know we can get, on, get get into it later, but I'm a big pulp fan of all the Dashiell Hammett and R- Raymond Chandler and all the old guys. So it just speaks to me. And then it was so cool to have because I I grew up watching the, I mean we I grew up watching '80s television like cartoons and stuff, like like Berenstain Bears or Saturday Morning stuff. But I also had a healthy dose of like you know Looney Tunes and stuff and yeah, yeah. and certain aspects of Disney, you know the cartoons and stuff. So seeing this is was like amazing, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, I would watch you know I'd watch it. You had like the Tweety and Bugs Bunny hour or
2: whatever yeah. on Saturday morning so like I would watch it but it my dad was kind of big into it was big into Looney Tunes like we yeah. had we had like a collection of Looney Tunes Christmas ornaments yeah oh yeah that were I don't know how many five or six like the
0: Hallmark or whatever they are. no
2: they're, they're we still have them but they don't go up on the tree it's like I haven't been to my dad's for Christmas in, I don't know, a decade, but it they would be like you'd put them out as like a display. You oh, like on them. the mantle? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. They were like plastic and they were holding uh, candy canes. And so you had... Uh, candy canes. <laughs> yeah, old candy <laughs> canes. Candy canes.
0: Sorry.
2: But you had like uh, Bugs and Sylvester and Yosemite Sam. And yeah. My dad was always a very big Pepe Le Pew fan. Of course. And uh, so I think when I started to get into it, Chuck, I gravitated, maybe I gravitated towards Chuck Jones a little bit. One, because so many of the classic ones I remembered from a kid that he directed, but also Chuck Jones, I think, created Pepe Le Pew. Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, and then Roadrunner and whatnot. So, but that was, I didn't really get too much into that stuff until maybe college I started to really develop an appreciation for yeah Chuck Jones and those things but yeah of course I mean we all grew up watching it and I think that's like the funny that's the interesting thing is like now kids there might be now a version of it but for the most part we're starting to, I think we're starting to get like the first batch of kids that are not growing up with, like, don't know who Bugs Bunny is. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we all – it was on. Like, yeah, yeah, We yeah. all
0: grew up with it uh, Their childhood is weird. Their child is like Spongebob, you know, or stuff like that, where – I mean, I I think we, we brought this up recently, but I had a friend of mine who I work with who has kids, and he put on some Looney Tunes, and the children were young, but they were kind of taken aback, and they're like, right. Daddy, why are they keep hitting each other? <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. You know,
0: they were, like, actually – upset about the violence and i'm like you know you never thought about it but there is a level of violence there yeah because everything else is so watered down yeah comparatively and now, now. you you kind of feel like bad about yeah. it you know i remember
2: my brother texted me said i just showed dustin my nephew uh looney tunes for the first time like on the computer on like the ipad or something or on <laughs> apple tv and he's like, he laughed so hard he couldn't breathe.
0: <laughs> really? So then, so that was a, because you don't know if, if kids yeah, would be yeah. bored by it, yeah, with yeah. it now yeah. or would yeah. they even get it. he thought it was hilarious. You know? And, and that
2: it, was kind of warmed my heart a little bit. It
0: is good, you know? And because it's also, some of them like, you know, you can't play anymore. Like say the stuff that had like, you know, yeah. racist connotations or the stuff where the chain smoking or they're drinking, you know? And well, we remember
2: remember, uh, I mean, uh, we're all, already kind of off on a tangent, but I remember when we were in college and we went to Coconut Video. Yeah. And we bought a spanish yes videotape of the looney tunes and we gave it to our friend and we gave it to our friend alex who was from mexico yeah we had a friend of ours that <laughs>
0: that we grew up with who wasn't in the film program with us but he lived a couple doors over for us when we were lived on the on campus lived on campus in the apartments and we befriended him and we all became friends and we were drinking buddies and he grew up in mexico city but then he at a young age maybe in his uh, 10 11 12 moved to where i live now in, in westchester in that because he went to the high school that i went to yeah. uh, i went to that i lived the town i live in <laughs> and yeah. uh Yeah, so he had you know he was great kid, very smart, and we went and bought him this videotape. I think it was, it was partially,
2: it was very small, partially a joke and very largely uh, sincere. But it's a weird thing to just buy for somebody. We
0: bought him a videotape that, but it was dubbed. It was a Spanish. It was a Spanish dub of it. But you know, we were we used to call him Uncle Al. Uncle Al would love this.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're like, this would be great. This would be like a little taste of his childhood or something but it was also part like half a joke but then we gave it to him and he was touched because he he was almost openly weeping yeah because he popped it in and he's like
0: these are the voices that i
2: grew up this this is what bugs buddy sounded like when i he didn't know mel
0: blank he had whatever it was dubbed and i remember going in high school going to italy for like the high school class and i remember talking to our our tour guide there Laura Donna this beautiful exotic italian girl that like you know a 15 or 16 year old shouldn't be you know yeah. ad- adhering himself to because of those exotic european ways but i <laughs> remember casino was out at the time and it was it was out in 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 italy where i was and i was asking her and i don't think she understood me i was i was trying to ask her like Every time that you have, say, Robert De Niro in a movie over yeah. here, is it dubbed by the same person? Yeah. and Was like, really there a
2: Robert De Niro guy? Yeah,
0: you know, because every time – I try to do that now while I will watch – you know, I get the Spanish channels, and I'll watch them at night if there's nothing on a movie that I know, and I try to see, well, how does Clint Eastwood sound dubbed, you know, in Gran Torino? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, a cabrón, you know. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I don't know, yeah. but it's, it's – yeah, so I, I don't remember if her, she understood the question enough. She's like, oh, it sounds like Robert De Niro. But I'm like, no, is it the same actor every time? So – I guess in this case, with the dubbed yeah. Looney Tunes, you would have, I mean, I, I, you would think they'd be doing it, this you know, maybe they were doing it all at once in sessions, so it'd be the same people doing Pepe Le yeah, Pew. Yeah. I, I bet you it wasn't the same guy like Mel Blanc. Doing all of them. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's why another thing that I love about this movie is that it's just on the cusp to have Mel Blanc in and uh, May, what's her name, May uh, Questel, uh, who did... Um, Betty Boop if I'm pronouncing your last name right. And all these other yeah, people who are... Yeah, we don't pronounce anybody's <laughs> name right. If it's
2: more than one syllable. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> we apologize. <Yeah. laughs> You're lucky I could say Baya over here, my last name. But it but that's another thing that I really loved about it. You know, and then uh, you know, that adhered me very young to, you know, knowing what who who is Mel Blank and who sure. is Chuck Jones is, and then getting behind the scenes of not only movies, but of the camera. And this could have actually been this could be a movie that's like in my top 10 as I think about these things because I don't really try to... Every one, you know, a list of top five or top 10 and then it's always, you yeah. know, there's 100 movies in there.
2: Sure. I mean, every you know? time somebody posts something on Twitter and it's a movie I like, that I
0: genuinely love, I'm like, oh, one of my favorites. But I say that about every, every you know, movie. But so, I think about this... <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah, this is great. But when I think about this one, like I, w- watching it with you uh, well, a couple hours ago, it was really like, wow, I, I've forgotten how for me just it's just like oh it's like an old girlfriend it's like yeah. wow it's like well, this. scream when that happens you know
2: i mean that's one of the reasons why we w- wanted to do a show like this like yeah I, was the <laughs> that's kind crying. of revisit
0: yeah all the old all, all the old stuff all we, the old girlfriends
2: <laughs> all the stuff that we kind of grew up you with know and, and kind of re-experience it in a new way and um, i was it, it
0: got me thinking about the uh and I didn't pr- prepare a list, so I don't know offhand. Uh, you know, I'll, I'm wrong with half of it. But I was trying to think of, like, the history of live action with animation. You know, and we, and yeah. we, we talked about the – you have, like, the Out of the Inkwell series in the old days. And when we did Beauty and the Beast, we talked about – um I forget the girl, Alice in Wonderland. Or Alice out of Wonderland, the Walt Disney girl. Yeah. And you look at all the different processes where you get, like – and then you had Porky. And they had a black and white one with Porky and Daffy. Yeah, you yeah. know, with – um whoever the head of Warner was at the time, they did a short that was very successful. And as you go and then you have like, uh, what's his face? Uh, uh is that, is that, um, in American Paris? What's the, uh, Gene Kelly. G- yeah. But what's, which, what movie is that from where he's dancing with, um, what's his name? Is it, with Jer- uh, he
2: does, he does one where he dances with Jerry, right? Yeah, he does. And he, then there is that
0: invitation to a dance.
2: I can't remember. Invitation to
0: the dance is. might be him with the pirates. Yeah. You know, he the, does,
2: he did a couple of ones where he d- danced with animated characters.
0: Um, you have, uh, and then you have Mary Poppins, of course, which was huge for me growing up, you know, and that was uh, very big at the time, and uh, it, so it's, you look at the evolution of how this was done, and then you hit this movie, and then I never really realized until, I guess looking into the background of this movie, that they tried to revolutionize how they did this movie, so it wasn't just two-dimensional. Yeah, they wanted, it wasn't
2: just like, stand, like a... Like watching a play. camera yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: it's actually that they had that they wanted to have the move the the camera move like it would in a regular movie then you'd have to animate three-dimensionally the character how he would react in if he was in the the place with the camera being there so uh it's interesting you know all that leading up to this movie and then now with them talking about uh, over the years proposed sequels you, w- could you even do a movie like this again because you know you talk about not this way no not at all i mean even if you, all, it would be cgi now it, but even if they did it this way as like a as, like, J.J. Like J. Abrams did with the last Star Wars, the last two Star Wars, like, and trying to do an homage to the original ones. Like, maybe would, would people even care aside from us? Like, would people go see it or would it That's bomb? A good question. I you know? know, I don't remember seeing Space Jam. Uh, I did see Looney Tunes back in action, which I really liked. And that had an element of this in it where it's, I forget if they're CGI. I thought they were computer, but they could have been like, I mean, animated, but they could have been polished up animation. But it's them. It's live action mixed with animation. Yeah, yeah. And that was actually quite funny and delightful I if mean, you're into that. It was that.
2: like Joe Dante did one. That might have been his. I, mean, I don't know if it was that. Might was that back in what's was because what uh, is Jordan
0: was the the Jordan one Space, space Jam, Jam. cuz Dick, Dick Miller shows up in and there's a lot of nods to like uh sci-fi movies in in, in the Looney Tunes back in action yeah, I think from,
2: yeah that's the I know, think that's the one Joe Dante.
0: Like you does. see like uh this Island Earth the alien show up if I'm correct you know there's a lot of those 50s you Well, know. you know it's
2: a perfect thing where you know we've been talking about this not a lot, but I think it came up with the Dirty Dancing one about how this idea of nostalgia, and you get that from you see that a lot in the eighties, and and from those directors. I mean, Joe Dante clearly a big Looney Tunes guy. He, you know, Chuck, Spielberg too. Chuck Jones makes a uh, cameo in Gremlins, and yeah. of course Spielberg because then Spielberg like did like Animaniacs, like presented Animaniacs and stuff. So you see all these guys that were embracing. And, and trying to rejuvenate like the things they grew up loving. In the same way that like Romero and Stephen King did f- with Creepshow. Yeah. You yeah. know, trying to, to relive their childhood yeah. and, then, yeah. and and, and kinda of present it in a new way. I mean I bec- nostalgia is not something that I th- I've thought a lot about in terms of movies until we started doing the show. I mean, I've always had nostalgia, but it was always like a like I, even before this, I was always joked, you know, I have nostalgia for, you know, like junior high and high school, but not my junior high and high school, you yeah. know, like the Max, you know, Bayside High <laughs> yeah, is yeah, what yeah. I have nostalgia for, or <laughs> not like the high school from the principal or Lean on Me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, my, the nostalgia I have for yours is like being, Sweet Valley High <laughs> and... for being a teenager <laughs> yeah. is like the movies, and that's why like I love. Twenty One Jump Street, yeah. you know, and uh, and so I've always had like this weird nostalgia for wanting to have my formative years be a movie or a television show. Yeah. But since we started doing the show, I started thinking a lot about the actual nostalgia that I have for stuff, uh, because that's what, that's basically what we talk about. I mean, even when we were, even when we did a movie like no holds barred, which was a movie that neither one of us, you or I had any nostalgia for specifically, but, we had a lot of nostalgia for professional wrestling. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? So even when we're not connected to the movie only because I hadn't seen it before we, you know... Had I seen it then, maybe I would have been really into it, but I didn't see
0: it until we did the
2: podcast about
0: it. And that might even be a judgment on the movie because that's one that I accidentally skipped over too. You know, it's not like I didn't want to see it. No, no, it was just just not one we
2: grew up with. So, uh, but... You know, so much. The first half of that podcast is just us talking about like a- wrestling in the eighties. Yeah, 90s. I think Mike Vanderbilt was like, "Are you guys ever going to get to the movie? Can <laughs> we're like, we're yeah, you, know, you guys know, ever start talking to- about this movie?"
0: <laughs> we like to ease our way in, you know. But it brings up a point where you know we we've talked about directors. And what directors like to meditate on in their movies and like, you know, say Romero talking about sure, with yeah. the zombies and that zombies as a product of society, so he uses it as a mirror you know, uh certain people like to have ideas like man, you know, Michael Mann looks at, you know, the the idea of the duality between the cop and the criminal, pulling heists or whatever, they they're kind of the same, the foils. And it's like us here, we seem to be almost you know, meditating on certain themes and I Quite recently, and I don't remember when because all these things blend into one for me, these these episodes we do. I know. I can't you know, even remember. Like where what we're talking about yeah. and what we do. But it's you got me thinking about the nostalgia, the idea of people in the 80s doing movies be- and, and the, the revamp of the 50s because they're reliving their childhood. And it's yeah, like yeah. now... We're seeing that we're, we're that age. But even
2: with Greece, we, we talked a yeah. lot about that with like
0: Happy Days and Yeah, you know, Liberty all those. All those. Television. Those 50s shows, the 80s shows that took place in the 50s. Or even like you know, with the movie, the Universal Monsters and, Mo- and Monster Squad coming back. Yeah, or yeah. Dirty Dancing with the, well, the you know the blob, blah, blob. yeah. All the all the movies they were remaking, the '50s movies they were remaking in the '80s. So now you see a lot of that where it's like '80s is big because kids our age who grew up in yeah. the '70s and it's '80s. Like, or, I
2: think we said this at like thirty it's a cycle, thirty years. like thirty years. It's yeah. like a 30 year cycle. So like in the
0: late '90s and early. Odds, you know, 70s were huge, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and it was like the big, like that 70s show or, you know, 70s movies. They did this, the episode of v- VH1, the 70s. So yeah. it's like, it's whoever's creating the, you know, media, whoever <laughs> the new
2: batch goes 30 years. So it's always the same, it ends up being the cycle.
0: Yeah. So now we're, and it's, that's kind of frightens me because it's like, Jesus, when I was in the 80s and the 50s was only 30 years ago, it, it seems so far away from me that removed. But now being in the teens, I know, and, and you crazy, think about right? the '80s as 30 years ago. It's that's the same. Period, you Think you know. about
2: when they announced that they're finally. It looks like they're finally going to do the Escape from
0: New York movie, the remake or re- the re- like, revision re- like or a re- you know, like a re-
2: like a remake reboot thing.
0: And I was like, oh,
2: you know, because there's this mentality of now that we're old, that we look back like that wasn't that long ago. Why would you remake that? But you think about like when the Thing came out, and yeah. John Carpenter's The Thing in like 1981 or '82 like it was from the 50s. Strange world was, it was like the same 50, amount of time. 50, yeah. the, when we were kids we were like, wow, it was black it was and white brand and it new, was. you
0: know. And even like yeah, you're talking about invasion of the body snatchers, which is what like 78 or 79 and the yeah. the first one was what 55 50,
2: or 50? 55 or 56 maybe. So that's
0: not even 30 years. Oh, maybe it is. No, it's 20. That's 25 years maybe or something yeah. like that. So it's like that not, not even you know, so it's it's interesting that we have like perspective changes, Yeah, for, especially yeah. our, you know, you you learn about, you know, wisdom is hindsight or whatever the hell that you know whatever (laughs) you know whatever the fortune cookies yeah whatever those those uh those uh what do you call those things are i forget the name of it you know all the sayings it's like uh it's weird now with age we get this wisdom of like you know it's almost like a uh it's unsettling in a way you know that that you you know so us here on this show when we're reliving these movies yeah it's unsettling for for me to think that this is this is 29 years old not 30 but it's like this is just like yesterday. I went and saw this twice in the theater. Well, there's
2: also this thing that happens once you, once you stop going to school. Yeah. Where Is that it that just becomes that, one know? year, it, like it's just one long. Because I think when you're in school, it's like it's regimented, you're like the, and you're advancing. Yeah. So you, everything's being counted. It's like f- you know, first grade, second, and grade. you also. It, so it's like that's,
0: yeah, there's this record of. Like, but that's also going to your peace of mind to feel like you're accomplishing something. Yeah, yeah. But now when you get out, you're like, what yeah, am yeah. I doing? You're I, just it, stuck in, you know, neutral. Like, <laughs> like the day we graduated,
2: like the following week. Like probably feels exactly the same to me as right now. Like it's the 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 twenty the fifth the seventeen years or whatever. I have no between. grasp. I still
0: think I live with you
2: from two thousand.
0: Yeah, like or the four or the sixteen years that's occurred in between there is like a blur of time. Yeah, it's it's not, and it's, that's kind of scary. Where I'm thinking about. You know, I still have clothes. I'm wearing a shirt that's probably 20 years old right now. You know, I still have stuff in my closet that's from high school, you know. But that's, there's other people who are, you know. know, they throw everything away. They don't like to keep, I'm a hoarder. As so we it's keep like, keep
2: plugging. Come August, Deanna and I have been friends for 20 years. And, and
0: then that is. But it does feel like we've been long like yesterday. That's longer than we were alive when we met. Yeah. Fucking figure that one out. <laughs> Whoa, man. Oh, dude. But that's what, crazy. So that's this August, but um, now we're doing 1988. So now we're traveling way back to yeah. 1988 to, to, to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was has an odd um, story, which I don't even know where to begin with this thing, but it's a movie that they shot like in... 85 or 86 and they needed what like 14 months of post-production yeah because of the animation yeah (laughs) unbelievable so um i don't want to i guess end the cast now but (laughs) so you (laughs)
2: all right (laughs) yeah good night folks (laughs) that has become that's become the running thing (laughs) yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. Uh, we'll be talking to you soon uh you know what was your reaction of not seeing this in 30 years i mean it was it's especially now with the the knowledge of you having you know, you having this now affinity for, for Chuck Jones, for, yeah, for, yeah. for art, for cartoons, for this kind of storytelling pre CGI even. Yeah, yeah. You know, how did it did it did you remember stuff? Did it astound yeah, I you remember,
2: or I remembered it being incredibly fucked up. It's really dark. <laughs> you know And it delivered on that. It is pretty messed up. Um And I that's th- why
0: they had to release it through Touchstone and not Disney.
2: But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, it was exactly kind of what I expected it to be. And it really was, what was we were just talking about? Maybe it was with Wayne's World where I was saying I was, there was like a lag time. Or I was, oh, was I, yes. w- I was like, I was, you know, 30 seconds ahead of the movie. <laughs> and you were remembering <laughs> jokes. Like, oh, yeah. Like <laughs> this is gonna, he's going to say this. That's going to happen. Uh, because I didn't see this as many times as I had seen that back then, it the, it wasn't as of the clarity of that kind of uh, recollection wasn't as strong, but there certainly was as it was happening. I was like, yeah, I remember that. I remember that joke. I remember when Betty Boop showed, you know, there was, it, it was kind of coming back to me. There are a couple of th- things. There are some weird cuts from scene to scene. One of them is perfectly explained, which we'll get to, which is there was a scene cut out. Oh, the pig head. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, which I wish they had left in now because, I mean, I guess they, the the reason even Zemeckis says he regrets cutting it but i guess he he was worried about pacing at that yeah. point because the,
2: the because where it lies in the film is a really odd hard cut, yeah, from one thing to another. He like
0: he's like, oh, oh, oh. did it skip? Did the, yeah, did did this, did the laser disc
2: skip <laughs> yeah, or whatever,
0: or did the video did somebody was there a splice? somebody cut 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 the videotape? Yeah, because it's it. like Eddie Valiant. He's gotta about, go back to my office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we gotta, we gotta like go dig the And then he's <laughs> then he's like, there's a there's a flush, and she's walking in, and he's coming out with no shirt on. And there's one other I
2: can't remember specifically, but there's one other scene where there's a cut like that. So it was like, wow, that's weird. Yeah. Because you're just not used to seeing that kind of storytelling. I don't know if it was a, if that's another instance where there was a cut scene and that's why it's odd. The other thing I found weird, and then you and I kind of watched some of the special features and the documentary that you were just talking about after, but one of the things that I did consciously take notice of and actually not like is this idea of them trying to make them seem three-dimensional in the three-dimensional space yeah by using shadowing and stuff all
0: this stuff that ilm end up doing yeah like yeah. on
2: roger and stuff yeah. trying to make it seem like he was a three-dimensional character because to me it's it i found it very jarring because you're so used to seeing cartoons without that yeah so when it's on there it was it was like that's that's weird. <laughs> so
0: it, for them, for them to actually be a three-dimensional, almost yeah. like a muppet, like
2: all the shad like they would put shadows and try to contour the shadows so they looked like his arm looked round, yeah, as opposed to you know just a flat two-dimensional thing. And,
0: and the light would have, you know, you're not used light. to
2: watching cartoons with at least with, he's not with
0: style, a, yeah,
2: like at least in our youth, mm-hmm. yeah, watching the cartoons with an attempt to do realistic lighting and shadowing on, yeah. the, on them. You know, everything is just kind of a flat two dimensional image. So to try to add like cartoons don't have shadows like that. So to me, it was very odd to see them, yeah, <laughs> you know, on the characters. Uh, and then when, and I didn't even know why I was like, that's so weird. <laughs> and then when we watched it and they explained what, what they were attempting to do, and I was yeah. like, oh, okay, it makes sense. And then at the time, that but was But not like, knowing that was the attempt, I found it very jarring yeah,
0: almost. Yeah, I guess at the time that was like the forefront of technology. So that was them yeah. trying to add their CGI or the... Yeah, uh, yeah. But you think about the layer we talked about a lot of times before, which we talked about a little in depth with the Beauty and the Beast um Disney podcast about the optical printing. Yeah, and you think about it. They, they said that at points here, with there were so many elements in a shot that they'd have like I forget what the number is, but they'd have like over a couple hundred elements and they'd have like eight feet high of elements they're shooting down. Yeah, for an up opti- yeah. you know, you have the cl- amount of light you would need the to. clear plates where you have one plate be the live action, the second plate be the animation, the third plate be the shadows, the fourth plate being the this, that, and then. You have all these effects, and it's like, you know, you add them on. It's like a pancake effect, and yeah. it's, it's amazing. Well, it's
2: amazing how clean – I mean, maybe it's been cleaned up since. Yeah. But it's amazing to see how clean the image looks knowing that because you can always spot in, especially in, like, 70s movies and 80s movies or obviously movies before that – you know, that they're going to do a dissolve or a fake zoom in because all of a sudden shit gets all grainy because of the way, you know, because of the optical printing that you were, they were basically film, you know, using a camera and filming the existing film strip you know the existing <laughs> the negative Did you get it? so it's like a you know it's almost like a Xerox the more times you you know you, you you keep on doing you the, lose same. the
0: quality yeah, yeah so you which generational problem you like know? you're saying is like yeah what right when they're about to especially in older movies that haven't been remastered you yeah, certainly yeah. like if you have a print of something then right when they're about to say dissolve to another scene you'll see that it'll for a second, it'll get different, and then it'll yeah. it'll just because it's because that was cut and they added the effect because they had to like
2: because you didn't do that on a computer then yeah you know you had to you, you had actually, to actually had to re- you had to shoot it with an optical printer which was a camera attached to basically a lamp that was shining light through a piece of film and you were and you were like projecting that film into the camera and so you get a little bit of a generational problem so the fact that this movie looks so nice yeah. Like I said, maybe it's been cleaned up since then. And, and, also, and as a kid, maybe I didn't notice. You know, I didn't know back then. It
0: could also be that you know you have. Um, I guess it wasn't really Disney stuff, but you have Amblin and ILM. Yeah, and clearly it. you have you, you know, know the best, the, people in the business yeah. doing it. Um, um, they, they said they had up involved some up to a hundred el- uh, individual elements in certain scenes that they're adding on there, which is insane to think about pre CGI to have like we're saying this layer cake effect. But all this stuff they did here is just. To me, it's just mind-blowing that, like, they, like the, the the elements of them fabricating, like, robotics. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's one thing if you're a special effects guy and, you, you know, you're making prosthetics for, like, a werewolf or something sure. or, like, a, you know, a bullet to the head or whatever, yeah, yeah. but then it's, like, your job is to then devise a way to have a animated baby smoke a cigar yeah and have that be a real s- uh, practical you know and what do they do to devise a very nowadays i guess it's rather crude it's just a robotic arm that has uh you know i don't yeah. know 18 or 20 points of articulation yeah, yeah. you know and, and it's being
2: and all this and like it's puppeteers and which it's, is yeah well you know that's the thing
0: is that's why that's special that that we will we'll post with the, this on our website that from the 80s. That period thing is amazing to see the puppeteers like yeah. holding the guns when the weasels are well, walking around. Well, I always love that stuff, even when you, know? you watch like the making of Return of the Jedi yeah. and you see the
2: guys in Java. <laughs> you know, the like guys working in Java. But puppetry is such a. It's a lost art. It really is. And that's, you know, we said this when we did The Labyrinth, which is like say what you will about the movie. Yeah. It is a testament of everything. Like every aspect of movie magic Up until 1986 Yeah It really, is yeah. like It is like the The ultimate document yeah. Of everything you could do yeah. Successfully in a movie Using special effects And puppets And everything uh, Roger Rabbit is like that Yeah Except it, the,
0: the, the only thing I think they say Is they didn't realize It didn't have any matte paintings in it But yeah. aside from that Yeah Every era, everything, even the kitchen sink. I mean, any except for CGI, which I guess was very primitive at the time. Yeah, you had Jim Henson starting to do a little of it, like you said. You have the the owl and labyrinth at yeah. the beginning, and By you have. He must have also, you know, you had um, had. Uh, Last Starfighter must be. Yeah, Last Starfighter is 86 it, or 87. So, yeah. yeah, you know, so you had elements already in. Yeah, you had yourself your first. The the, uh, the car in Last Starfighter was your first practical. Yeah. You and know,
2: must have had. But I'm kind of. Young
0: Sherlock. But you, like yeah, because Young Sherlock, that's what I was going to say to God, you. We got to do that movie. I oh, we definitely that. will. I love that movie. But so did, you much. See, <laughs> did you see a connection at the end of this movie? We're going to take the assumption <laughs> that everyone's seen this movie. So, you know, we'll spoil this. Spoil so, the F out of this movie. Yeah, one. so if you haven't seen it, uh, you know, go go check it out. But you remember the end of the movie when Doom gets r- run over by the steamroller? Mm-hmm. I, I, right when we saw that, I, I was like, that to me is completely out of um, um, Young Sherlock when the the guy they're tripping on acid or whatever. I forget. Yeah, how. Yeah, and yeah. the the uh the thing comes out of the the church. Glass, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Two dimensional, and to me, it was so like, oh, we just did that two years ago. We'll just do that again. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Alan Silvestri might have also done the score for. Young I think Sherlock. he did. Yeah, yeah, and that was maybe the connection because they must have just got off of that. And that was what Spielberg? Did he direct that or he, he produced, produced it, it? I think. You know, and it's another testament of what I don't think this movie would have came off as good or had everything the elements in it, like the people and the 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 other, the all the the pre existing animated characters without. Spielberg like walking around and well you know
2: look you know we uh, it'll be hard I think for some people to realize but when we went to film school there was a very anti-Spielberg sentiment was so pervasive amongst many people
0: yeah um and it got a little annoying because at the time when we were there didn't feel that way but Saving Private Ryan had come out yeah. and people were down in Save Private Ryan and you know not to get into the movie but people were like you know he, Tom Hanks' character is not going through a change and <laughs> the people were getting mad about the arc and yeah. I'm like why uh, I mean it's you know I, th- and th- you could even
2: the only movie that you could throw out and e- even Jaws didn't count but the only movie you could throw out that nobody could talk shit about was Raiders of the Lost Ark but <laughs> Spielberg sucks Raiders
0: of the Lost Ark alright alright I we'll <laughs> give him that one all okay. right. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Nobody can, nobody can. Nobody can. That's another example of undeniable. a perfect, you know. It's like Back to the Future. It's like it's yeah. a great. How can you knock? Um, you know. But so you know, it's very interesting having
2: gone through that, having people trash Spielberg,
0: like sitting in those classes. Well, years. that was the cool thing to do at the time. Yeah. People were going in and they were knocking. You know, the because the, they wanted to instead f- focus on French New Wave yeah. or uh, indie movies. But or, you, you know, think
2: about. You know, this is this time period is Spielberg at his height of of uh, print and power, in his basement. You know yeah. of, of, of of power. Maybe not. You could argue not creative height, but in terms of having his name, On
0: you everything. know, open
2: doors for yeah. any, you know anything. Uh, by then, you know, obviously, he, he done, he done done Jaws, which just recently I think is uh, celebrating an anniversary this week as the one actually. This is posting pretty soon. So uh Jaws just kind of had a big anniversary and then got raised Lost Ark. Uh but then, you know, he had produced so many of these now classic nostalgia movies from Goonies to poltergeist yeah. event or gremlins and he directed
0: uh, et and then he uh with goonies was out at the, the around this time told
2: the movie which is a whole other story that we can't get into yeah, right not right now <laughs> but he, he had a hand. one of these math. days
0: we will get into that um and <laughs> he was doing so much with him with amblin yeah you know and he and he i and this is another thing which i was trying to rack my brain because all these conversations we have turn into one big mind of mush but we were talking about recently could have been batman the animated series podcast where um uh, Spielberg wanted to do something animated, but they couldn't get him on board. So they sold him on doing the Animaniacs. Oh yeah. You know, it was like he wanted to do something and they were trying to get him to do this, but then he instead went and did the Animaniacs instead or that how I spent my summer vacation that Animaniacs mm-hmm. made for TV movie or something. Yeah. So he was around this time. He was really into the idea of animation and doing, you know, cartoon I mean, think stuff. about what a great position that is to be in. Having that success and that say to be like, I want to do a fucking yeah. movie on your own Anything
2: you want to do. I mean, where, I know? think where Dion's going with this is the only reason why this movie got made in the way that it got made, uh, and I'm not even talking about the technical aspects of it, the fact that you have so many different animation studios willing Collabor- yeah. to collaborate and use their characters together to have Bugs Bunny... And Mickey Mouse in in the same frame in the same frame, which at is never never happened to since. have Daffy Duck
0: and and Donald Duck have like a piano duel. <laughs> they're, they're, who knew that they were vaudevillian? Uh, <laughs> you know, they had a vaudeville uh, like like uh, 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 Fisher and Marks. You know, have, have Luke Dro- Costello, <laughs> Costello. They have like
2: droopy you know, dog, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only reason why all this happened is Betty Boop and all these people. Yeah, the only reason that even occurred was because Spielberg went to these
0: people. They knocked like, on hey, doors. It's me, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> why don't you do a movie? And we, you end up having hundred and four, 140, and forty pre-existing animated characters in this movie. And then on top of that, he couldn't even secure uh heckle and Jekyll, mighty mouse, Superman, Popeye, olive oil, uh, a whole bunch of other people that he just couldn't get. That the people said no to him. Uh, uh, Casper, the Friendly Ghost. Yeah.
2: Well, Hannah Barbera is not it, but I, they might yeah. not know, That's
0: not old enough. Well, yeah, because Hannah Barbera is late fifties, and this movie takes place in forty-seven. But then yeah. that said that there's some people who say like, well, that goofy movie they're watching, <laughs> that shorts from nineteen forty-nine, and this is forty-seven, you know, or whatever. Or so, but, but it's, so
2: it was it was Spielberg. It was the name Spielberg that opened yeah, that door. I mean,
0: Disney was gonna gonna shut it down because it was going over budget. They projected fifty million, they were going to sixty, and Michael Eisner, who we talk a lot about, was going to shut this down and Spielberg and, what's his face, um, Jeffrey, uh, whatever his Katzen- name is. Katzenberg. Berg. Yeah, he he talked to uh, Eisner to keep it going. So it's like, it's just without that name recognition. Well, you
2: know, you think like now,
0: think about this summer. Yeah. It's probably, it's not as big
2: of a deal. I don't think people are talking about it as much. But to think that, I guess it started with the third Captain America movie, but now that, you know, that Spider Man was a Sony property, oh, and okay. now Spider Man's in,
0: has come over. And that Marvel, was a big deal. Is now in Marvel because remember what was that two years ago? I mean, it's called Homecoming for Christ's sake. Like, is the name of the movie. Remember two years ago, that was the big thing. With, was the Avengers? They're like, is Spider Man going to come into? Is it going to cameo? Yeah, like you know, because even though with you know, obviously Spider
2: Man is a it's the flagship Marvel character, but Sony owns the the theatrical the film rights to him. So I mean,
0: it, it's like X Men. The twenty first century owns X Men. The X Men characters, and they might even own Fantastic Four. It's like, in yeah. Going so back, it's yeah. to
2: have like Spider Man come and be a part of Marvel is it seems stupid, not but. yeah, but it, it's just a little of a taste to think about two years ago when that was a kind of a big thing. I mean, think about what a huge deal it was to have like Warner Brothers and Disney collaborate. Yeah, characters. I mean, it was unheard. Like, why would they do
0: it? They still have to this <laughs> day. They've never done it again. You know. You know, it's a big deal yeah. I mean, we're talking about walt disney it's so big that they talk about where we've talked about in the towering inferno podcast where you had steve mcqueen we are, dem- we are. yeah oh, <laughs> throwing him out, there. Yeah, right. throwing him out <laughs> we had steve mcqueen demand that because of a grudge he had with paul newman that he wanted the same amount of uh lines the same billing on the poster and everything as paul newman you know because he had this rivalry with him yeah cut to 1986 or 87 Disney and, and Warner Brothers was like Daffy and Donald need the same amount of screen time. They need to be have the same amount of lines. Almost yeah. one can't upstage the other, yeah. and that's they have how to it be was. Equally
2: sounded. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> so it's like it's amazing to think that. Like that's that you know you take that real life situation with, with McQueen and Newman, and you bring it to like 10, 15 years later, and it's like two animated characters, or you have people in back rooms with cigars. Like yeah, he needs to have these exact same lines. Hey, <laughs> and you know, you know that that, that boardroom. <laughs> yeah, that we're always smoky, talking about. that smoky boardroom. <laughs> You know, and, and it, that's just astounding to think that that is, you know. It's by a porn name also. Sm- Smokey Boardroom. Smokey Boardroom. That's <laughs> <laughs> really good. Mine's like. Uh, well, that, that's actually a perfect name
2: for da- Morris for, Rosedale. For, for dirty <laughs> dancing, I was talking about. How I cut? Co- oh yeah, I keep thinking of your your, <laughs> your <cat> is uh, as <laughs> the
0: Catskill comedian w- that I make. Uh, wait, wait, wait but Fatty yours Bulges, was, <laughs> yeah, Fatty Bulges, who survived the sex scandal, and you had like <laughs> the uh, the Hamaklis, not Hamaklisheimer, those was, two guys. It was uh, uh, small tearing, small tearing. That's it. But
2: uh, Smoky Boardroom, that's another board really good one. That <laughs> is
0: a really good one. Yeah, Smoky. A a K. A K. By much,
2: by it was a hell of a night. I
0: saw Smoky Boardroom. He teared it up on the electric guitar. He went electric. Small tearing came out, practiced it all up, and then what's his face? Fat, fatty, fatty Bolger? Fat, Fatty bulges. <laughs> fatty, fatty, not fatty bulges. I'm getting off punch drunk. Yeah, but um, it's late, folks. It's so late. it's just amazing to think that the, that we really got to emphasize that this is uh that, that what came yeah, together. It here. was a big deal, and I yeah. remember it being a big deal yeah. in 1988
2: when it came out. You yeah, know, one obviously it was a big deal. The publicity of it, of like that this has never been done on this scale before to have a live action movie as interactive with animation. I mean, it was
0: a big deal. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then you had on top of it, like you got all these characters in one movie together. Even as a kid, I remember thinking like, wow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And then also how they did it too, where they, they didn't have it be two dimensional. They, they shot it to have them be three dimensional and then their interaction with the real world. Which is pretty astounding that they're able to the amount of detail where they're picking stuff up and yeah. they're doing all this stuff and hence the I mean is,
2: it is astonishing you know watch it
0: and then it's like now it's you know do people remember it you know aside from us and the people who listen to this and whatever like there's a young kid we you are know. the only two people that remember this <laughs> yeah, <movie>. exactly <laughs> but it makes you think about like what was the point it's like the, it's it's you know the, all this work that went into this thing and then I mean yeah in 2016 it didn't make the It uh, yeah, it
2: really was uh, it's one of those things where it's like why did you you know why did you climb
0: not Everest because you know, it, it was there. Yeah, because <laughs> I, could, I could do it. You know, <laughs> you
2: know, it was, it's one of those things. And Zemeckis went on to be yeah. trying to push the boundaries of animation. Yeah, even in future projects. Well,
0: he's now. done these three really great um, CGI rotoscope kind of things where he's invented technology for Polar Express, which has now adored itself to a whole generation of kids for Christmas. Uh, Beowulf, which I loved, and then he the last one he did was the Scrooge with Jim Carrey where Gary, Gary Ullman plays oh, like four yeah, different yeah, yeah. roles. And that's an, evo- that's an evolution. If you watch Polar Express, and then each one, you can tell the techno- you can see the technology improving you know, to yeah. now. And that could, that's like a future. If you watch Beowulf, that lead person is played by Ray Winstone, or Ray Winston, however you want to pronounce it. And uh, you, know, you look at you know, his stature, but then in Beowulf, he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So like the, the, the possibilities of that, or they just did what Spielberg did. Um, they're making a sequel to My Thing, Tintin. So that was amazing yeah. how that looked, and that's the same process. So you can do whatever you want in that little. since well, like Sin City, you know yeah, that yeah. kind of thing.
2: Yeah, well, I think you know, I think Cameron gets a lot of credit for pushing the boundaries. Oh, with of with technology. Yeah. You know, going down to the Titanic and or the abyss. inventing, a, like the masks in the abyss. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> actually inventing scuba gear to shoot that movie. Uh, so I think you know he's one that's a go-to of a, an innovator. Uh, I think Zemeckis gets overlooked a little bit.
0: Uh, yeah. What I was about to say in 2016, this movie, Roger Rabbit, was cited for the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Then they put it in there for a cultural, historical, and aesthetically significant movie. But what you're saying, to get back to you, is I remember seeing a great featurette on Back to the Future 2. Yeah. And they talk about how he invented a camera. To be able to shoot those scenes where you have like, um, you know, uh, uh, Back to the Future 2 Michael J. Fox uh, hiding behind the bush and in the background 1985 or Back to the Future 1 Michael J. Fox. And he invented some sort of camera where he can do the take. It's almost basically like you would do with optical printing where you mask half the frame, shoot it, rewind it and then expose that side and mask the side you just exposed and redo it. Yeah, and, yeah. and he invented it. I, I, I don't know, but it's almost like what they did with the black hole where it's kind of pre-programmed. So it won't miss a sure, beat, yeah. but he invented all that kind of seamless technology where you could have two characters. Well, a lot of
2: that kind of stuff was even used here. I mean, he might've taken that technology further by In, the time back to the future two came out. Yeah. But that idea of having dollies and camera moves that were pre-programmed um, that was all. That was technology. That was all starting to become. They, that's how they were able to do this. Yeah, uh, movie by you know being able to do takes and a thing like Dead Ringers, for instance, is is a perfect example of having to have two Jeremy Irons. I don't even know what happened to that other
0: Jeremy. Irons. <laughs> I know. Which they, is a segue <laughs> to the book. We can get to this book later. This movie's based on, but yeah. But
2: yeah, like eight, late eighties is when all this technology of. Uh, being able to program camera moves basically having robots move the camera so that you could have like precision takes each time every single time starts to be starts to happen here
0: you see the star 80s. wars it was in, kind of invented in star wars it was taken further in black hole yeah. and then it's pi- it's kind of I mean it's
2: a, the history of cinema it's too long it, to get into here <laughs> that, i mean it is but it's 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 amazing yeah and then now, i mean there's n- there's n- very few things in this world that I love as much as I love movies, yeah. And but there's every it's like uh, somebody was just arguing on Twitter about uh, I don't know about something, and I was like, hey man, it's a movie, bro. It's all good, bro. Like, <laughs> just a movie, bro. <laughs> like, just just love them, man. Put the Twitter down and just <laughs> it's a movie, bro. They were complaining about something. Oh, it's how uh. It was if they were angry about Rockies two, three, and four and five, because one, Rocky one, first Rocky, Rocky Balboa, and Creed is such like a beautiful trilogy, and they were angry that there was these other movies mucking up. I'm like, hey man, let's leave Rocky. First of all, let's leave Rocky alone. Yeah. Second of all, He's had a hard life. <laughs> like, you know, I, I've come in my in my old age, my oldish age. I I really just in. I've become a bit of a pushover, and I said, i don't have time.
0: You say I think I've, in, said, I've said this in, in team the Teen Wolf, yeah. You said this—you don't have time for this. These. You know, and I
2: said—I said this to the guy on Twitter. I said, to me, it's like—I just love movies. Yeah. You know, there's movies. There's movies I love more than other movies, but I don't have time to like hate on movies anymore. Yeah. You know, it's just its just—they're all such. A, it's such an amazing, beautiful thing. Yeah. And when you see a movie like Roger Rabbit, and previously discussed labyrinth when you see how every aspect of the medium is coming together yeah in like this harmonious like beautiful way yeah in a way that's never been done before in a way that's never going to be done again yeah it's 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 beautiful it's beautiful man <laughs> it, it really is and to think about it, like that you and i could just sit here and, and waste 15 minutes talking about like pre-programmed camera moves <laughs> and <laughs> and the like beauty the, of it, the history of the technology don't you understand man <laughs> we don't even really know that much about it what but. are they
0: gonna say about it? is he a kind man is he a wise man
2: but uh you know I, I, this movie uh Yes, entertaining and everything. But that was the big takeaway this time for yeah. me. It was like, wow. It was like, wow. Like, look at what they
0: did. I mean, they had a guy in a car driving a cartoon car down the road. I mean, it's just all the crazy, um, you know.
2: You know, and I, having spent the last f- three or four years, like, really focused on music as being this aspect of cinema that... uh this may be underappreciated by a lot of people or not talked about as often as maybe it should be, but knowing that music is just one little element of this huge thing. Uh, when I talked to all those composers for my book... um Score to Death. That, that was the thing. It was like they all know their place in the team they're all like I, my job is to make the movie better and that's like there's you can't have ego about that yeah like i'm here i'm a supporter in character it's this team i'm like i've the support team of the director and we're all here to like bring a pro- bring this thing together you know hundreds of people you know 14 months of animation to make this thing uh it's just it's really
0: yeah i i think um One of the things I watched on the making of this, Salvestri even says in this movie specifically, he says what you might have said before or you've quoted is that, like, you know, when I'm not noticed, then I've done a good job. You know, in this movie here, to me, when they talk about the soundtrack specifically in this movie, this soundtrack is insane where you have it sounds so much to me like a Zemeckis and Spielberg movie, that sure. lofty John Williams-ness of it yeah, or whatever. It's definitely like a, you know, su- a, mes- a very self like yeah, Back to the Future. That big, you know, big, you have a whole big orchestra. But then also it's like... There's elements of a film noir. You have elements of straight-up jazz and and improvisation. Then you have elements of the wackiness of a traditional Looney Tunes Disney cartoon uh, short of of the 40s and 50s. It's so funny. And have that all flow together to be one coherent soundtrack is amazing. It's so funny because watching it,
2: now being a little too uh, aware of music and movies, maybe. Like when we talked. I think we've obviously talked about at some point when you go to film school, like sometimes in a way, it kind of ruins yeah, movies for you, you in a long time, and it's taken you end up self analyzing it all. It's taken a long time for us, for me anyway. I, I can't speak for DM, but for me to be able to watch for this podcast movies and, and, and abandon that, yeah, and just watch them, you know, trying to be a the kid, little like, boy goggles, rewatch on. them for the first time, kind of thing. Uh, I there are the the, the Silvestri. Spielberg's a Mickey type stuff in this movie I really like but on a whole I found I didn't love the score. Yeah. Uh, I didn't love the jazz stuff and it has nothing to do with the quality of the music. I think it has to do with recording of the 80s.
0: It was so 80s with the saxophone and all that <laughs> yeah. kind of Yeah, it has that element it, of It
2: sounds so even though it's it's jazz and it's it's trying to be Music
0: from it's like eighties jazz from or, the forties. Yeah, uh,
2: just the production values of it sounds so jazz. That sultry sound. Well, it's like every blues album from the from the, from the from the low budget. You know, not talking about like the Steve Ray Vaughn stuff, but from the eighties, nineties, and on. All the blues albums have like this really bad production sound.
0: You can tell it's, uh, that it's that just era. like
2: it's just it has a certain there's a quality to it. Yeah, uh, the jazz and the, the jazzy stuff in this movie had. Uh, a very specific '80s feel to it, and yeah. I don't even know so much if, if it's the instrumentation or liter- literally just the the tech, the recording techniques of that time. Uh, so that I found jarring, uh, but I think m- my you know my
0: ears are a little more sensitive to that kind of
2: stuff than most people.
0: Well, it's interesting when you take a movie, a period. Oh and I'm sure we've talked about this before as well where you talk take a period movie uh an 80s movie that takes place in the 30s and 40s but it's so 80s yeah yeah that it that the the, the culture of the time bleeds over you know yeah, and you yeah. have that Well
2: even we've talked about this with with Dirty dancing how like Yeah you know like that you have the 80s uh, songs how Swayze you know? has like a mullet <laughs> and you <they laughs> actually have 80s songs yeah, in, yeah. in the movie uh, and the other thing was and again, I think it's more about how things were being produced then than the quality of the actual music and the, and the instrumentation and the comp- composition. There's such a specific, huge sound to the, like the Carl Stalling, uh, Stuff for the Looney Tunes, and the
0: composer who yeah, wrote all the Looney Tunes stuff, like
2: all that music. It's there's just it's like a, it's it's like the Phil Spector wall of sound of orchestra music. Yeah, the thirties, forties, and fifties. There's such a specific feel to it, the way it sounds. Not even just the music itself, but the way that music sounds. Uh, and then the lush Disney stuff uh, that having, not having that aspect of it. W- if it it it, ma- it made the soundtrack fall flat for me. See, I wonder now. And then it's nothing against Sylvester, because Sylvester is one of my favorite I wonder composers. if that
0: has to do with management, because they talked about one of the things in this movie they were having problems with is a lot of these companies, when they came together, I think specifically Warner, Warner was like, we want, if you're going to represent our characters in the movie, we want what they look like now. In 1987, oh, yeah, yeah. To, you know, because if you look at Miss Piggy, she looks different from 1979 from The Muppet Show, The Muppet Movie, to what she looks like now because yeah. they've updated her. So, you know, Homer Simpson, same thing, you know? So it's like that was they wanted, they wanted their characters to look like they did in the 80s, the yeah. Bugs Bunny and the Daffy Duck. And I think they actually lied to Warner and they showed them false <laughs> you yeah. know but then at yeah, the like end yeah then at wrong. the end when they had a final cut when they, Cause they, Bugs doesn't look like 80s but no it looks like traditional 40s well yeah. you know like it, Tex Avery yeah and, and it's and that's stuff. great you know and and I so I wonder if that is an element of they want it that no we want we don't want it to sound like more like Carl yeah. Starling we want it to sound more like an 80s I mean, because back know?
2: then when those things were being produced the, specifically the Looney Tunes stuff we're talking about
0: in the 40s and stuff. yeah we're
2: talking about the studio system so yeah. there was the contract musicians that was the orchestra that played on on every yeah great movie that came out of Warner Bros. It's amazing there's a, <laughs> yeah there's a
0: studio every week they're putting a new movie out you know. And
2: so those musicians are the ones playing on the on the on the shorts yeah. that are playing before the movie the Looney Tunes shorts. So that was the thing for me was just uh musically uh, again, not a knock on the the actual the actual, per, uh, the actual composi- composing of the music or anything, but the actual just like the feel of it, yeah. like the the actual sound, the way it sounded, just sounded so '80s yeah. and not. I mean, it would have been. Amazing. I don't know if they could have done it, made it sound that way. If recording techniques were just—they just don't record. They don't record things that way. Like they used to,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I mean, now they don't even use tape. I mean, in the eighties, they're probably still using tape to record. You know, maybe ma- magnetic tape, not so much digital
0: then. But because remember, what's his face? I think it was a black hole that was the first digital score. So maybe they were even using an a, 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 a inferior version of digital. Yeah. Back well, then. there
2: were stu- There were things, but it wasn't until like the mid-eighties where you even had. I don't even know this, all this stuff because of Alan Howarth. And I think when we saw him live a couple of months ago, he talked a little bit about they didn't even have, uh, you know, the processors and keyboards to be able to loop shit
0: until, <laughs> until the mid 80s. That's going back to like freaking. Um... <laughs> Uh, Les Paul shit, where Les Paul and Mary yeah. Ford would just be in their house, you know, they have overlapping a, over, yeah. and then if they mess up, they have to start from the beginning, you know, and they just overlap Mary Ford singing four or five different parts, yeah. of different keys, to and harmonizing
2: with herself, and yeah. that's
0: amazing, and then, uh, and then technology grand. yeah, it's amazing. you know, because back then in the old days, they would just record like two mics. You'd have like, you know, one mic for the orchestra, one mic maybe for the <laughs> singer. Yeah, maybe yeah. So, maybe the singer wouldn't even have a mic, yeah, you know' you
2: hear, like the you'd get like bootlegs some t- some have even been released of like, you know Sinatra radio shows, yeah, you know, and it's like it's.
0: It's all bleeding over and stuff <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, because there was only, like, two room... You know. Sinatra's singing it to a mic, and then you had, like, one mic. And everybody for everybody else, <laughs> Yeah, you know? And we, we even have jokes about where his Sinatra's like, yeah, you're playing too loud. I can hear you over at CBS. <laughs> Christ sakes, you know, because Blake and I have some Sinatra bootlegs, which are hilarious. Yeah. But anyway, but, but um, the soundtrack for me, which is amazing how it is all over the place. Yeah, like yeah. The, you know, we have, like, you know, the...
2: Oh, sure, yeah. F- I a mean, film that's a, a weird harp, measure, you know? of And stuff.
0: it works, but I never, as a kid, I, it, I never noticed it being out of place. You know, in yeah, the yeah. scene where it's supposed to be sultry with Jessica Rabbit, it is, with that saxophone, sure, and then, yeah, yeah. you know, when it's supposed to be dark and, and brooding, it is, and then when it's wacky, it is. But it's just, uh, I guess it's another testament to, you know, the, 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 this movie itself. And like you said, it's a dark movie, <laughs> you know? <laughs>
2: yeah, well, you know. That's the f- signature of Spielberg. It goes 80s. dark.
0: You know, it's it, there's a lot of like this viewing. Like the this uh, movie is based off a book by uh, called Who Censored Roger Rabbit by uh, Gary Wolf, and I read the book before the uh, the, the podcast. Um, I said, before you watched the movie, I said, "Blake, I got to read this." Book. I, yeah, sat, I know. I was sitting there waiting, and and I, was I just drinking my Jolt Cola, <laughs> eating my bucket of pizza. Yeah. he took me. a nap, woke <laughs> up again, you know, and I'm like, I have dyslexia; it takes me a while. But um, and the book is a lot darker than the movie itself, but. Uh where am I going with this? The movie's pretty dark. I yeah, mean there's yeah. scenes uh you know where in it like this time around like that was actually terrifying when Judge Dune kills that that shoe. Yeah, yeah. That's like him killing an animal. Yeah. You know it's like he actually like picks it's like well, he a living a, thing yeah. in the context of the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's him like picking a puppy up or a kitten and, and dipping it in the dip and then it's or later it's like I I noticed it particularly in this movie like how revolting or how amazing of a vil a disney villain he was in this movie because like he's he's mean to everybody he's there's a there's a little person in the movie that he's that he's complete like he he's he completely is terrible to disabled you know (laughs) no but you know he like he 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 forces the guy down a little bit to get roger's height the other guy who can't talk he he uh you know he grabs his chalkboard to use something he used the other guy who has one arm to like to, to, to You know, so it's just like he's such a like a heel in this movie, but it just works to yeah. how like you make it makes you want to hate him, you know, yeah. and I just surprising now, I guess it just maybe because I'm older, but it's just like so terrifying that scene where he kills that little shoe. It's like, Jesus, it's like he's really killing, a, like you said, a living <laughs> thing on film. And it's like, wow, you know, well, the 80s was a magnificent time to be
2: a kid. Yeah. To have your mind completely fucked
0: with. Yeah, and and, and people, yeah. and it, it, it which which was rated we, PG, <laughs> which we went
2: into a lot when we did Transformers the movie, like yeah. Gremlins. I'm sure we talked about it. You know, there's this whole uh, Monster Squad. Maybe like a too. decade of, let's see how much we can get away with and they did I And mean, it goes and it's I mean it starts in the 70s I think yeah Um. you know we've talked about it with Disney with stuff like Watcher in the Woods and yeah
0: well, uh, would, Wicked This Way Wicked This <laughs> <laughs> Wicked This Way Something Comes Something <laughs> Something Something Yeah comes. Wicked This Way you know the, the Ray Rodberry thing yeah Ray Bradbury uh. Um, uh but all those, yeah, Black Hole, certainly, where they're... they're oh, yeah, Black Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's another... <laughs> I always <will> forget. <laughs> I forget how evil they go to hell at the end <laughs> And they're like, maybe we should not do this anymore. <laughs> we forget them. the Devil Max Devon, you know? It's just like they have these really... And that's just Disney on the face of it, you know? Yeah, and you have, yeah. you have all that kind of stuff in the 80s where um, I talk about where I'll I... Turn to Oz. Turn to Oz is Disney too? Well, basically the plot is she's 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 getting ECT, and that's what provokes her to go to Oz again. They're giving her shock therapy, you know. It's very uh, with with a robot that has a smile and a hat. You know, a twin, there's a not Twin
2: Peaks. There's a there's a Quantum Leap episode
0: where it's, it's oh, don't that makes me cry. Yeah, yeah that episode's hard. a two parter. Where, he's, where he's, he's going through everybody? Yeah, yeah. He's, and he's so good. Oh, my God. Scott Beckett is so good in that episode. And they have to, like, Sam's yelling, and Sam can't. Al. Al. Al Al's yelling, and they bring the other girl in, and he can't hear her. You need a shock. Yeah, you got a shock. Need... And he's talking to Sam as the, the, the kid with Down syndrome. He's like, yeah, I don't want a shot again. he's like, yeah. you got to do it, Jimmy. I was like, I'm finally. <laughs> <crying." laughs> it's a tough episode. Yeah. Need shock. New yeah, shocker. it's so bad. And then, then, then when they they then they finally leap and they they, they switch. Them, they, they switch because s- <laughs> he walks into the switch, cannon. Yeah. You know, it's like oh boy, Jesus, <laughs> oh boy, oh right. boy is right, wowzers. <laughs> 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 uh, but this, um, kind of leap and how, how how crazy it is. Uh, so this movie here, you got the book uh, Who Censored Roger Rabbit? Yeah. The book is. A lot different from the movie. Yes, explain. First off, um, in the book, they are not uh, cartoon characters in the sense where they're going to be uh, they're not animation a, characters. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like th- comic strip. They're right? strip characters, and they talk with word balloons. And the word balloons actually come out. Some, most of them, only can talk with word balloons that you read. Others, like Jessica Rabbit, have learned to talk and suppress the word balloons. But you still get the word balloons that come out, and the word balloons, I, it's, it's kind of, they don't really go into the backstory, so you have to kind of, like, speculate yourself on what, but you could take the word balloons, and they keep them, and, you, you can, and they don't really dissolve or go away, so you can frame them, put on your wall, or they can float away. And they uh, can also do this thing called make a doppelganger. So, say for uh, a um, stunt. Silly putty? Yeah, <laughs> they put up silly putty, you know. quick. Really <laughs> They rub it on a newspaper and they're like, that's me. But they're able to like, say, if they're going to do a dangerous stunt, they're able to make a copy of themselves that'll only be last uh, a couple hours or a couple days so that they can do the dangerous stunt. And that then that personal I mean, it is. And it isn't. And that's the big thing with this, with the book is that they, it's, and they can make these doppelgangers and these doppelgangers can do the, the stunt or whatever, and then they'll fall apart afterward. And you get a little of that I noticed in the movie because, uh, you know, like if they hit Roger over the head with a frying pan, he sees stars or he sees yeah, yeah. birds. He's he is generating. Yeah, yeah. He's so like, yeah, that's that's
2: not supposed to be stars. Yeah, You're and not he's birds flying, yeah, right.
0: yeah. Joel, Joel Silver, that cameo he has in there, where it's like, yeah, and he can't get stars. He's getting birds. He's getting whatever. And they're inventing that. So I guess that's a little of it—the doppelganger where they're creating yeah. these things out of the space. But um, also in the book is it's it becomes more of a class issue. Where it's the, the tunes, were, to my best of my knowledge, they never talk about anyone animating or creating these things. The tunes have been around forever, and the tunes almost become every minority that has ever lived on the earth. Where they talk about in the old days, they brought tunes over from China to help build the railroads, and they called them, like, yellow tunes. Or when they first got to America, there was Native... There was Indian, Native American tunes. So to me, the best way I can describe it is the tunes in the book are almost treated like, say, Muppets are treated in the context of Muppet movies. You know, the Muppets are... uh, uh, A human person never... Unless it's for comic relief when they break the fourth wall, they never say, like, wow, I'm talking to a Muppet. Yeah, It's just associated with your talk. So that's kind of how the tunes are. So it's never ever thought of like someone's drawing it and coming to sure, be yeah. so it's like they've always been there. And, there and then there's always like it's almost like you see in this movie the class system you know where like uh you get a little of that here with the you know the tunes only or, or humans only that kind of mm-hmm. to look down upon upon uh so there's that element of the book and then as well it's you, he eddie valiant you have the three quick uh, actually four uh, core characters are still there. You have Eddie Valiant, you have Jessica Rabbit, you have Roger Rabbit, and you have Baby Herman, and then everybody else it doesn't show up in the movie, and it, it's a completely different plot. Where yeah. the book is, like I said, it's who censored Robert, Roger Rabbit. And I don't know if I should go into it too much because if I suggest people, if you're a fan of the movie, should go read it because it's really good, but it really is a pretty good, hard-boiled kind of yeah, yeah. take on a on a on a pulp. Novel where there's a MacGuffin like a like a Maltese Falcon that they're looking for and and Roger Rabbit early in the novel is killed and he made a doppelganger before he died and then Eddie Valiant has to deal with the doppelganger and help him figure out who killed him before his doppelganger falls apart. <laughs> Interesting, you know. So it's <laughs> like there's a time there's yeah, a time frame yeah, yeah, as well as. Cool. Um, jessica which they didn't do in this movie but she's completely like a gold digger she really has no love for roger she was in the porn business before she was making like x-rated cartoons uh-huh. you know and then there's a whole relationship of uh a black market of of this art the, the frames are sold as art like you know you buy yeah, yeah. and that kind of a thing and so it, it 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 gets interesting and the the ending is i wouldn't say it's anticlimactic but i have read people don't really like what the ending ends up being Mm -hmm. but it's really a cool read but it's it definitely it's a it's clearly different not just being that it's a comic strip versus cartoon sure yeah but it's i guess like um you think of a good book like the shining this move the book versus the movie they're they're two different good things but they're separate sure and that's kind of like how we came out in 81 81 and i guess then disney optioned it right off the bat bat. and you have everybody in it i mean and it's another thing is you feel like this movie is set in 1947 and you feel like the book, too, is set in 47, how they talk, uh-huh. and how they act, how the, the hard-boiled detective is. Does it have, like, popular comic
2: strip characters That's in the it? thing.
0: It's it, it's present day because they talk about, like... like uh, Ziggy? <laughs> Garfield? No, not that much, but they talk about Dick Tracy. They talk about, uh, you know, uh, all the Warners, all the Disney guys. They talk about, the, the, at one point, they mentioned videotape. You know, because I was trying to f- get a frame of reference, like, when does this take place? Because at one point, he talked about, like... Um, Maybe s- ro- uh, Roger uh, Roadrunner and Speedy Gonzalez, and I was like, "Well, they came out in the '60s." I was trying to figure out when they premiered and when's it supposed to take place, and and then they mentioned some other comic book characters, and I'm like, "Well, this can't be the '40s if this is." Huh. So uh, it is present day, but it's one of these weird kind of like it's like a like a another dimension or whatever, like another alternate universe. Yeah, where it's present day, but then you, ha- you maybe it's like a Batman the animated series where it's present day, but it's alternate because they have art. You know Art Deco, yeah, but they yeah, still have yeah. cell phones. Or, you Timeless, know, they, yeah, right. they're they're driving you know uh, Art Deco cars from the '40s, but they still have modern technology. So it's that. Yeah. But it's really cool. But it's different from this movie. So when you read the book, it's cool to see what they did in this movie that they completely almost revamped and made a whole new plot where they emphasize now in the movie that they, that Roger or uh, just really does love Roger, and they really play up on that love connection mm-hmm. uh, between. Roger and Jessica, which is not at all in the book. Yeah, you yeah. know, and in the movie here, w- which is an interesting for me, is that uh, we talk a lot about Dashiell Hammett on the podcast. We bring up Red Harvest, which was something he wrote that that was remade into Joe uh, Jimbo and Fistful of Dollars, and mm-hmm. uh, what's the one with Bruce Willis? Last Man Standing. Last Man Standing, and he also wrote, we know, Sam Spade, a Maltese Falcon, but Dashiell Hammett used to have a series of shorts uh that are p- compiled together in books called the continental op and it was a reoccurring character where it was this guy from the continental operations d- detective agency that would be hired mm-hmm. and do different things but you never know his name he's just you know he's telling you the story he's the continental op he never really tells anybody who he is. He might even be the character in red harvest i don't really n- remember if he even gives his name in red harvest mm-hmm. hence why i guess in fistful of dollars he's the man with no name sure, and, yeah. and it could be the same thing for tishiro mufune and Uh, Yojimbo but he's described in the comics or in the in the short stories Dashiell Hammett's he's not really a good-looking guy he's kind of overweight he's stocky he's kind of short he's kind of balding and he's exactly like Bob Hodgkins is in this movie yeah yeah. so it's almost like he's the embodiment of like a Dashiell Hammett continental Op, where he's not a good-looking guy he's not you know that's why it becomes even funnier in these shorts the Dashiell Hammett did where you know the girl starts coming on to him and he knows himself he's like she's only coming on to me because she wants this for me or that for me yeah, yeah. you know it becomes very identifiable for the every man to be like oh you know he's not dashing he doesn't look like dick tracy with the chiseled chin or you know or the sure, square yeah. draw, jaw you can identify with it a lot better so that was a, another takeaway that I, I saw this time around watching uh, bob Hoskins' uh performance in this which is really cool yeah
2: yeah he, he's great in it i mean they had to do you know, I f- I figured when we were wa- when we were watching the movie, I was like, wow, like I bet you he. Ha- I wonder if he was a mime at yeah. some point. And then it turns out that they ended up having
0: them all go to, the, mime, go school. to mime school. Go to school to learn
2: it to learn how to like because basically as they keep they say over and over again, they were basically shooting an invisible man movie. Yeah, and everybody was was interacting with nothing.
0: They were calling it yeah like an invisible. I man. mean, it,
2: it, it, sometimes you get the robotic arms and stuff they were talking about that are holding the cigar or whatever. Uh, and then they would just animate over that. But for the most part, they, it wasn't even like they had the CGI like tennis ball like eye line. Uh, Bob Hoskins had to had to actually figure out how to, you know had to focus his eyes without looking at anything. It's very few times, only once or twice, that I catch where it looks like he's looking past. Yeah, he's
0: not matching. He's yeah. like
2: even though his eye lines right, but his eyes are actually looking past Roger. Uh, for the most part, he does a really fantastic job of being able to focus on nothing and make it look like he's looking at something at the correct distance.
0: They had, which like they a, don't
2: even, do, they can't even do now with CGI. <laughs> I know, yeah, time. it, it uh, looks bad. But they but, had
0: a, they had a doll they'd bring in for, but only for like rehearsal. Yeah, they do a rehearsal and they would have a, uh, uh, a, what do you call that? Like a full figured or a, a proper dimensional doll yeah, yeah. they put in that they which would rehearse is with on
2: display somewhere, because. Uh, the Soska sisters, who they directed a movie called uh, American Mary, uh, and they have been very supportive of my book. Uh, Score to death, uh, writing, writing and stuff. But they posted. They were at a, They were at some museum, and they took a picture of it, and they tweeted it or put it on Facebook, like the actual the, the, the prop they used. Yeah, it's in a,
0: it's in some museum. Well, they they talk about um, you know like say Heath Ledger getting messed up after doing. Joker and the Dark Knight and stuff like that and Bob Hodgkins he said afterward he just really messed them up like he didn't work for the next year because he said you really had to start hallucinating and seeing these weasels these rabbits whatever to be able to interact with them and he said he even watched his three-year-old interact with imaginary sure, figures yeah. to do it. And he said it started to drive him nuts because afterward he'd start seeing these things in everyday <laughs> yeah, life because yeah. you get so accustomed well, to some
2: weird muscle that he's like exercising. Yeah. he's never had to exercise before. Yeah, and and then, now it's kind of stuck.
0: Yeah, and then he had to kind of like get out of it. Like after you know, try to. But fix when himself. he like
2: lifts him up, and it—I mean—it's it, it it does does really look...
0: like like the part with with Judge Doom when he's holding Roger, and they're like, "Yes, you do. You don't. You do. You don't. Yeah. You do. You take the shot." It looks like they're holding a, you know, yeah. three dimensional rabbit. I <laughs>
2: mean, that's not. It's one thing to just like hold your hand in a fist and move it back and forth, but to actually look like you, you're you're moving something that has weight, yeah, to the it, pantomime a mass, to, yeah, to it that you're actually physically moving something. Uh, you know, it, it was really
0: amazing, um, and you kind of forget it, especially with Hodgkins, where he's like he's picking Roger up and throwing him into a car, like all that seems, you know, it's like you're believing it, but you just think we're the entire movie, he's acting to nothing. Yeah, he's you know, and it's that's so hard to make sure you're. you're, you're And it's one thing if you're just talking to nothing. Yeah, but you're physically moving
2: things, picking Inter- him up, yeah, dragging it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, dragging, being drugged by, you know, actually having physical interaction. Uh, it's really he should have won the Academy Award. I know it's, it because I mean it really is a it's a feat what he manages to pull off in this movie and
0: as well you know even you know they're talking about the camera placement to make sure that um, they had to get the angles right so they weren't say cutting off the, the rabbit's uh, ears yeah, you know yeah. or, or whatever so that would look right it's just all the, all the little nuanced stuff in this movie just you know like when Roger slams a door and the books fall it's like yeah. all all the gimmicky stuff in this well, is just like astounding the
2: ability to which we've talked about and I forget the name of it now. We've talked about it a million times on here because we've seen them in person. the The machines that Albiworks works
0: created. That's what I meant with the yeah for the yeah. For, we talked about the in the Beauty and the Beast podcast. Yeah, know, yeah. For where
2: they you managed to make depth of focus in animation uh, by by layering and separating the plates or the cells from the background so that the camera has, you know, so the background's a little bit out of focus, so it has like a more realistic look. And you can even but
0: travel the, through stuff. You yeah, know. but
2: the fact that they decided, Zemeckis decided, and I think, you know, uh, a stroke of genius on his part is like, I'm not going to worry about the animation. I'm going to trust that, uh, what's the guy that, that, that Richard Williams, Yeah, who's like a co-director <laughs> in this movie, directed all the animation. animations. So I'm going to trust that he can, that he's going to be able to do this. And I'm just going to shoot this the way I would shoot a regular movie. So you have camera moves and you have racks of focus that are absolutely stunning to look at. Uh, I mean, it's an invisible thing and in, it's, terms it's, of, in terms of in fi- terms of cinematic language, like the quote unquote layman, maybe not notice it. But to know, uh, to have a little bit of knowledge about how this stuff works and to know that. They're actually racking from like Jessica Rabbit to a window, yeah, and, it and looks, she becomes blurry and, it and looks it normal. Looks, it looks like in, in the kind of like a, you know, uh, Dean Cundey saying that this is stuff that's part of cinematic language, but you would never do. I was this just in about to animation. say he's the guy who, yeah, Dean Cundey,
0: who's a, a who, carpenter, who did
2: the thing and Halloween and the Fog and uh, Jurassic but, Park. And he went on to do Jurassic Park, do a lot of and stuff and with Spielberg. I, I think he in might years. have even directed. He might have directed uh, How Do I you Work know, the Kids? Okay. Uh, I'm not
0: positive, but I feel like he might even have directed that, um, which had one of the, sh- the first short Roger Rabbit. Post Roger yeah. Rabbit was before that in the movie So uh, that's it's, it's just
2: it's, it's, again, nowadays, again, I'm like in awe yeah, of what they managed to accomplish. That's in this movie. that's
0: kind of nowadays like they can do that like nobody's business now. You see the rack of focus where sure. you have, you know, they're able to, you know, uh, have the foreground uh, unfocus and the the, the background focus because in because now the, it's animation. just like a
2: flick of a few keys on a keyboard. Yeah. But back then it was like... I mean, this
0: was, yeah, li- literally they had like 700 people uh, all together and they, they had, they said, f- tens of thousands of cell animation that they all drew by hand. They, what they say, they shot the whole thing and then they had photocopies of each shot of the movie and they'd have, everybody would get photocopies and then they would be able to, then would trace the over. The animators
2: would get... A, a, a photocopy frame. of every single frame of the movie that, and it so was 24 frames a second, yeah. 24 pictures per second they were getting so that they could animate
0: 24. They could draw 24 drawings a second, a second to get, and it ends up being like, I, I think it's like 55 minutes of animation, this movie. And, uh, they got like I don't know maybe like seven five by sevens or six by eights of size, and they would draw every aspect to make sure that it wasn't jittery or it worked right, and yeah. then you know they were able they would draw they would do pencil drawings to make sure they were hiding the mechanics of whatever gimmick if Rogers taking a shot that it's hiding it or this or that, and then once they okayed the pencil tests, then they would go and they would finish it up. But then you know Zemeckis said it was you know you shoot the whole movie and you wait a year. And yeah. do nothing. He'd go talk to Richard Williams, the uh, guy who oversaw all the animation in England.
2: Yeah, he'd watch like the cut with a rough cut with them, and say like, "Well, here I want this, and it yeah. has to be you know yeah, giving him direction, a, an editing machine directing
0: him." And, and then he would have to wait a uh, twelve months, and they'd come back with, "Okay, uh, you know, and you can't really." And it was also hard too. They said because once you you, you locked the, the 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 physical movie that the live action movie they shot. You don't really have any – once you animate over it, you can't – there's not a lot of play you can have with yeah, yeah. different takes or with editing was kind of – you need to know how, yeah. how you're – You could maybe – you could cut a scene out. Which like they how, did like in a this. large chunk. Yeah, but you can't – But you can't
2: like frame fuck. Yeah, you can't
0: <laughs> rework because you as an editor, of yeah, course, yeah. Those, You know, you know, you, they always talk about um, – a lot of people that—that's a big mistake in film school is that you don't have enough coverage. Yeah, yeah. You know, you shoot a scene and then you don't realize you—you you leave. You shit, I didn't get a close up. I didn't of get a on. reaction. Of the, yeah, this. We need I to didn't... cut away to this or an object, and yeah, you know, yeah. and then you're fucked. And then, or, or, a lot of sometimes people say that it's a, diff- a totally different movie when you get to the editing room. You couldn't do that here. You needed to have everything so meticulously storyboarded because of all the elements going into it. It's just astounding. Yeah um i never got when i was little the harvey reference with his with, with oh the, yeah, yeah. it's like because like in the 90s i saw harvey the movie which is a great jimmy stewart movie that yeah they the based ju- off a pledge
2: comes in and is looking for a rabbit he's like oh yeah i've seen him he's yeah, right here and you
0: think he's going to give him away and he's like yeah, hey harvey you know it's like oh it's harvey you know it's like because it's funny at the time yeah um,
2: um they uh there's a lot of potential uh what if nah, There's tons of what ifs in this movie. Uh, and again, I think we always have to, dis- we've discovered that, I think we have to disclaim, we have to have a disclaimer uh, ahead of the what if game, that this is just information that we found online, we don't know if, we don't know if it's true or not. <laughs> <laughs> so the best, but we're, we're going to act like it
0: was, you know.
2: <laughs> but first I thought it was interesting, I read, I don't know if it's true, but I read that they did, when they first optioned the book in like 81 or so, they did like a very short test. Yes, to see if they could...
0: There was a couple tests done before,
2: yeah. If it was possible to do, and that Paul Rubens voiced the ro- Roger Rabbit in the tests.
0: Yeah, and th- I think that idea for a minute was maybe to cast him as Roger, and that seems believable to me because, one, there is this footage that exes- exists of him doing this test, but you think of... Around um, Pee Wee Herman, another podcast we did, which was Disney's Flight of the Navigator. Yeah, he is, um, you know, compliance. The, the, yeah, yeah. The so ship. you can completely see him maybe doing a characterization here of um, of Roger Rabbit, um, you know. And then they they kind of scrapped that, and then they did another <clears throat> shoot in the mid '80s, maybe uh, that they cost them a hundred grand to prove to maybe Disney executives that it would look good. That they were going to be doing something new, and they had the, it's a minute of screen time, which we can include in the post here. And it's uh, what's his face, John Pantaleano
2: Oh, is that who plays? Yeah, Eddie he's in the, that?
0: He, he plays Eddie in that one minute scene where it's it's Roger, and it's all it's also what's his face, Charles Fleischer, who who plays the voice of Roger, who I called out in Dick Tracy. He has a little cameo as one of the reporters oh, yeah, yeah, talking yeah, yeah. to Big Boy, um, who also he ends up playing Benny the Cab because originally they were to get Lou Rawls, who. If people, he's a, uh, a singer who people might know. He used to do like um, you're you're gonna miss you're gonna yeah, what's yeah. the name of that you're
2: song? The never find <laughs> another one, like
0: but people our age might know him specifically is he did all the uh, music for all the Gar uh, Garfield shorts. Mm-hmm. So all those Garfield specials that would air on primetime, he did all those songs. That's him, like babes and bullets or whatever. Uh, but then Charles Fleischer ended up doing um, Benny the Cab as well. But there's a uh, Another guy um, who we talked about in the Grease podcast, um, Eddie Dezen, D E E Z E N. He's the guy with the glasses, the real nerd. Member that used to show up. He was that nerd in the '80s that used to show up everywhere. And he's in Greece. He was big in the early '80s. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, for a minute, was going to be Roger too. They had him on as Roger. I guess after Paul Williams, Paul Williams, Paul Rubens. <laughs> You well, they could you have know? Paul Williams. Yeah, they could have Paul Williams. That would have been really weird, but it was, you <laughs> know. Yeah, uh, I, I love Paul Williams. Uh,
2: but originally, apparently, even be Originally, in the early 80s, Zemeckis had kind of wanted to direct it, but by that time, he had only done...
0: Used cars. Like, and used cars and... One other one, he did... Um, and they were both... Box I want to hold your hand. And they were
2: both kind of box office failures. In comparison. Yeah. They, there was no proof that he could helm such a big project. So he never would have been considered with it by the for it by the time they got around to doing it, he had done uh, Back, to, Back the to the Future and uh, Romancing the Stone, yeah, which were big successes. So yeah. all of a sudden, he had some clout. Uh, but bef- even but before they signed him, apparently they wanted they had asked Terry Gilliam to do it, yeah, which would have been interesting. I don't know if he would have been able to pull it off.
0: Yeah, well, that's uh, one of the reasons a... why he cited not doing it. He didn't think he could pull it off. Exactly. Yeah, he and he has and
2: he basically now says, I regret that I didn't say, do it, but I was lazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, because you think of how technically astounding it is. And at the time, he was doing some, you know, with, um, what's his face, Munchausen, Barry Munchausen? What the the name of that movie? Oh, yeah, what is that, Baron? Baron, yeah, that movie in Brazil. He was doing a lot of, you know, Time Bandits. He was doing a lot of weird stuff that had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he had done, like, the animated stuff
2: for Mighty, Mighty Python Yeah. Stuff. Uh, but in terms of for the Eddie Vallant character, uh, Spielberg wanted Harrison Ford. Uh, but evidently his price was too high. They talked. Uh, they wanted. They talked about maybe having Bill Murray. But like Bill Murray doesn't have an agent. Yeah.
0: You just have to like call him and ask him. <laughs> so it's hard to get him to be in something. And it, there's a story with Bill Murray where Bill it was set in a trade that, that Zemeckis said they were looking for Bill Murray. So evidently Bill Murray was reading this trade someplace in public, saw his name and was like, Woohoo and like screamed at the top of his lungs in front of people and but then they never called him or got in touch with him. Uh, Eddie Murphy which he says he turned down and he said in, in some 1994 actors inside the actor studio, he talks about how he regrets turning it down. Uh, but he's kind of weird, not to get off on this because we need to get back to hurry this along, but you know, I don't know if people know, like he was the main motivation for Star Trek four. Eddie Murphy is a huge Trekkie. And uh-huh. at the time, I don't know if you, you know, this story where uh, it sounds familiar. Where As they you tell it, I'll probably
2: be like, Oh yeah, they
0: were, um, let me think if I can get this right. They, uh, they envisioned him being the character that the crew of the Enterprise meet when they go back oh, to instead it, of Oh, instead, instead of the, the girl. girl. Yeah. And they were, right. they were like yeah. moments away from shooting it, but then some executive somewhere said, wait a minute, what happens if this movie flops? Because we've already got in the can like Beverly Hills Cop, and they had another one, yeah. Eddie Murphy movie. They thought it would ruin, so they, they, they nixed him doing it. And, uh, but it would sound familiar. It had been written a certain way because it was supposed to be Eddie Murphy with the jokes and whatever, you know. (laughs) know, I mean, but that's so funny. Can you imagine, you know, Eddie Murphy being, you know, I don't know. But yeah, so that was Eddie Murphy there. Um, But they talked about, and then other names that got thrown, that were apparently thrown around
2: were. Chevy Chase, Robert Redford, Jack Nicholson, Stallone. Wallace Shawn. (laughs) Wallace Shawn. Uh, It would have been interesting. Wallace Shawn is actually a really great actor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Inconceivable. Yeah. Uh, Ed Harris would have been interesting. He would have been sweet. Uh, Charles Grodin would have been kind
0: of interesting. He had just done the Muppet Caper. Don Lane. Yeah.
2: And then they had talked about that uh, Tim Curry auditioned for (laughs) Judge Doom. How cool is this? And apparently uh, both Spielberg and Zemeckis. And the executives like Michael Eisner and all that. They thought his audition was terrifying too terrifying <laughs> it's, they thought it was just like too scary so they ended up uh, and i mean and christopher lloyd is scary in this oh he's amazing so, i mean this. he is pretty terrible christopher lloyd is pretty terrifying in it uh at least by at the end i maybe uh Curry was playing it kind of maybe too scary the whole time. Um, but it would have been cool. I would love to see I mean, if, they love had a, if they
0: had a screen test of that. I mean, the yeah, like mid-80s yeah. Tim Curry. And how why was he why was it deemed too scary? Like, what was he doing that, that Christopher Lloyd is doing differently here? Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, they also had Robin Williams considered for Judge Doom. Uh, Christopher Lee turned it down. Uh, John Cleese, but they said no to John Cleese because... It seems like
2: they wrote it for Christopher Lee. They, they, yeah, like he, the, it's just yeah, the his, majority of the character. The
0: embodiment of him just being so evil, maniacal. Yeah. Uh, they said no to John Cleese because they didn't think that people could take him seriously as a villain because he had done all those Mighty Python movies. Uh, Roddy McDowell, uh, Eddie, uh, Eddie Deason, again, I don't know why would he... Because we talked about him as... What's his face? As Roger Rabbit. And then Sting, you know, as well. Uh, but then they ended up getting... Uh, um, Christopher Lloyd, but at the same time, uh, there they, they, there's something like, suppose like 40 uh, versions of this script that they did here. Um, the two guys who adapted the Car- uh, Gary Wolf book, um, Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman. <laughs> Seaman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they did like 40 drafts of the script and they did uh, stuff where like they didn't know like first it was too dark and they had a script where Baby Herman was the bad guy they had a script where Jessica Rabbit was the bad yeah. guy they had a script where uh, Roger Rabbit dies at the end they had a uh, darker elements with Judge Doom which they had one where Judge Doom was going to have a um, on his back he was going to have a vulture that would be oh, with yeah, him yeah an animated vulture but they thought it'd be too it was going to be too technically difficult for them to, to be able to do that but which I do remember when they ended up putting him into, like, toy form or whatever whatever uh, incarnation that was. He did come with an animated vulture. And then he was also supposed to come with, like, 12 small suitcases that had kangaroos in it. And yeah. each kangaroo would have, like, in its pouch a dingo. And the dingo would say, like, he is guilty. They, Yeah, it's going to be the
2: jury because he's the judge. So yeah. he would open up the... This- these pouches and
0: it would be awesome to the see be a yeah. of, of juries yeah but then they ended up doing the, the the weasel gang and the weasels were supposed to be a play on the seven dwarfs yeah Um but then they so they were originally seven yeah but they narrowed them down to five because it just got too expensive to have seven of them. But what I noticed with this is I'm a big fan of the old 40s and 50s and late 30s. The Bowery Boys, the Dead End Kids, they had a lot of different names, East Side Kids. Mm-hmm. And these, especially the lead, there's such a spitting image. Like a, It's like almost like a riff on the Dead End Kids because their joke was they're very uneducated. So they always make up their own words. It's like in this movie. If you listen to that lead guy, he says everything so it's hilarious. He says everything wrong. Like you want me to constitute him now, boss? Yeah, he says <laughs> yeah. all the wrong words. So I definitely think it was an active play on the Bowery Boys. Them, like, Maybe that's you know. just
2: like a Zemeckis thing because that's how
0: Biff is. And oh, he says all make the like ro- a tree and get, get out, out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, they they, they say like you know, I, they, there's so many funny jo- words where they say the wrong, they say the wrong, you know. Uh, yeah, Yeah. This, you know, you want me to, uh, you know, uh, ventilate the situation or you know, it's like, you know, you know, um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of what ifs here. And then, uh, you know, we have Kathleen Turner playing, uh, Jessica Rabbit. She's unaccredited. Uh, she's evidently was nine months pregnant when she did the, the uh, the voice track for this. Um, I mean, so you end up having some Zemeckis. Yeah. Like uh, his troop
2: returns, you know, uh, yeah, obviously, you have, uh, uh, Christopher uh, Lloyd was in Back to the Future.
0: Kathleen Turner was in Romancing oh, the Stone. Stone. Um, who else? Anybody else? <laughs> two's <laughs> enough. Yeah, two's enough. I right mean, when you
2: only got when the f- you only have uh, f- four main characters.
0: Um, yeah, and then she she was nine months pregnant. We talked about that, and I forget the woman. There's a woman who sang for this
2: Was Spielberg's wife at the time? Right?
0: Was it Spielberg's wife the before, before? Maybe. Yeah, that was it. Before she, uh, it was what's her before he married. Um. Kate Capshaw. Yeah, uh, this song in it, "Why Don't You Do Right" is a great jazz standard that I love. Um, there's a really couple good versions by. Version you think is
2: in Carrie? Is that her? Yeah, she she's plays like the mother, the... or she plays. No, no she plays like the f-
0: John Travolta's maybe. She's like the good. Oh, she's the good friend. Good friend. She's not the, the uh, one at the end. The antagonist. The one that, the one that, that goes comes out of the the, yeah, the yeah, hands come the, out of the
2: grave. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, she does the singing in the movie and uh there's a great um Peggy Lee she came out with Benny Goodman uh, like she was like 15 or 16 and there's like a two disc set now of her early recordings and she does a very good version of why don't you do right uh but uh that is all cool and good like you know the stuff that they were able to accomplish with all the animation and all that kind of a thing um you have a lot of interesting you know the whole Chuck Jones thing where Chuck Jones and a lot of like the old like like uh we talked about in the uh the Beauty and the Beast podcast about Frank and Ollie. Uh-huh. The old what do they call it? The old nine men or the old wise men that Disney oh, used to call yeah, the animators. Yeah. Frank, I forget his last name, he didn't like the picture and neither did Chuck Jones. They they like Chuck Jones really ended up hating the picture and he was saying like he didn't like how um he's he's quoted as saying something like, you know, you, you really got a problem with a movie when you're able to uh, have Uh, people sympathize with the live action character and not sympathize with the animated character. And a lot of the other people, the older guys that were like still alive, had a lot of issues of how they uh, portrayed the, uh, the cartoon uh, characters in the movie. Yeah, Well, I could, I
2: can see Jones. It's a very, he was on, it's a very not Chuck Jones style of comedy. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Jones was all about the eyes and it was all about sympathy. I mean, uh, Feed the Kitty, uh, just everything. I mean, he's his everything he had, even the, what's opera doc, you know, at the end. I mean, Chuck Jones liked to play on emotion uh, and that, that was like the brilliance of him. Whereas Zemeckis was more into like Tex Avery and Bob Clampett, like that style of comedy and, and character. Well, he's
0: so, th- the model for the movie, Zemeckis said he wanted to have the, the 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 Disney the polished Disney look with the Warner Brothers characterization but then the Tex Avery MGM humor yeah. of the time. Uh Frank Thomas is the guy, Disney's nine old men. Uh he was disappointed with Richard Williams's portrayal because evidently Richard Williams who we said helmed the animation end of this movie, he had a really snarky attitude towards the LA Disney Studios. So he actually uh f- forced them to let him go to England and work in the Elstree studios there. And he did all the animation work there, maybe out of the prying eye of Disney. Yeah. And I, maybe there was a resentment there, but Chuck Jones had signed on as a, uh, 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 technical advisor, but he ended up animating the, I think Donald duck in the Donald duck, Daffy duck sequence. But they had an argument where Chuck Jones wanted his version of Daffy duck, but, um, Zemeckis wanted the Bob Clampett version of Daffy Duck and yeah. they ended up winning and he ended up getting the, the, the Bob Clampett version of Daffy Duck and that supposedly picked, pissed Chuck Jones off. But Chuck Jones ended up calling the movie, he said it was obnoxious, witless misunderstanding of all the old characters uh, it set out to honor and even accused Zemeckis of robbing um, Richard Williams of any creative input. So he got really pissed and then particularly he cites the, uh, the piano sequence. You yeah. know, so because he had a part of it, it's almost like John Densmore with the Doors movie where the Doors guys had parts of the movie and when they see the final product, they didn't sure, like it, you yeah. know? So you had a big issue there with them. But I don't know. I mean, I guess I liked how they portrayed everybody in the movie. I mean, I could see, I mean, they, they did make it, it is a little darker. So there is a little, I guess, adult overtones in the movie. Maybe that's the reason why yeah. you're not portraying the the characters in such an honest and, you know, uh I guess, Pure kind of light, like you're saying with with Feed the Kitty or you know yeah, yeah. those things. They make them a little seedier with Baby Herman and you know, but it, they make it more like a like a the jokes of the old, like you see saying the latest Coen Brothers movie, Hail Caesar, where it's like you know in front of, back in the old studio system in front of the screen there whatever, but then behind the camera they sure, have sure. completely different personalities. Yeah. You know, like Baby Herman, did you know, uh, which I I used to I dug and I love that a lot. Um, now. Uh, Charles Fleischer who voiced Roger Rabbit he would show up on set and help Bob Hodgkins out he would give Bob Hodgkins his lines on set in character and he even dressed up the entire time as a rabbit he'd be dressed head to toe every day as a rabbit and I guess he said he used to say that some people would they would go to eat at lunch in the canteen and people would think that that was the rabbit for the movie yeah, yeah. and they'd be like, like this, is gonna, gonna be this is gonna be fuck fucking up. terrible <laughs> you know he looks you know but even uh, bob hodgkin says it threw him off his insistence of like you know dressing up and being there and then they said he would they have a mic set up for him to do the wild lines and sometimes they'd even use those lines and because they, they would end up improv yeah you know and there's a lot of funny lines like where um you know he goes and sees his his, his side of the Uh, his brother's desk Eddie Valley and he goes your brother looks like a uh what is like a uh what does he say he says your brother looks like a sensitive and sober (laughs) (laughs) of all that you know that kind of improvisation yeah um but I I guess it is weird but he's you know he said um Fleischer said he he called it um trans projectional acting that he would have to act you know from, from on the other side of yeah from like 10 feet away behind
2: the camera instead of being in the scene but like
0: but they would rehearse with him in the scene. That was another yeah. weird thing. They would rehearse with him in the scene and then he would leave and then Hopkins Hodgkins had to do it alone. You know, um, There's another big element here too with um, there's a Chinatown connection with this. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Which is
2: another thing when we're watching it and when they develop like what the, the plot, is. plot
0: is. Like what? Judge Doom is looking to do Judge Dread. do. Yeah, I, I always say that too. <laughs> Judge Dread is actually trying to do Judge Doom. It's, <laughs> I was like, oh damn, I must love this part of the movie <laughs> because it's so it it, it ends up being it, it, that aspect of it really happened. Yeah, but um, the, you have the um, Robert Town, I think, is the guy's name who did Chinatown. He you take the, just the first movie Chinatown and you take the elements of the, where the similarities with this script and that script, where you have a, uh, a private detective who has, uh, you know, uh, I think his partner was killed. Isn't that what Jake Getty's Nicholson's character is? And you have Bob Hoskins whose partner was killed. That happened in Chinatown. In this, it happened in Toontown. There's, the seedy place called toontown which is chinatown you know forget it jake it's chinatown forget it you know it's toontown eddie. <laughs> eddie uh you have um you know they're both called to a case to do like you know take pictures of something and then it turns out to be something completely different and then near the end of it it's like uh, I'm... chinatown ends kind of tragically but this is ends on a lighter note but it's kind of like the same thing where uh it's much bigger yeah it's a much what's actually happening is so much bigger than than, than what you think the the, yeah, the, the confines of the plot is. And
2: what the, the protagonist is. Yeah, where in Chinatown, it's towards. like a water. You know, yeah, the, no, you no, know, and that's
0: world. all a true story, where it's all them trying to get water to the valley to be able to get water to, 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 to I think it was, to like grow L.A. into like suburbia. I forget what happens in the sequel, The Two Jakes, that has something. Also, there's a big plot there, but there was going to be a third movie there, which they called either the running the title jakes. was... Yeah, The Three Jakes. <laughs> it was either... Gettys versus Gettys because it was like about like on the, uh, the one side it was going to be about his him divorcing his wife uh, Jake Gettys his character or it was going to be called Cloverleaf which is the name of the company in Roger Rabbit that Judge Doom is actually heading and it's the plot in this movie was Judge Doom is was buying up in our movie he's buying up all the cable car the red car which I think was a real cable car company that was what it was called in LA he's destroying it to then build the highways and, and all this. And that was something that really happened in the, in the forties. A lot of people don't know was there was a, well, yeah, because now we think of LA and the Hollywood area. as just being like, you know, 12 lane highways
2: and you got to drive everywhere where it's like, there's this little, you know, kind of little, little, there's a little like pre, yeah, it's a dirty
0: secret. Yeah. but
2: In the beginning, there's like a little foreshadow uh, joke where oh Eddie Valiant goes? Where, where, yeah, he, where he jumps onto the back of the trolley car. Says, Who needs don't car? a car? are you car? We got the greatest uh, public transportation, transportation in the system, the system in the world.
0: And people forget that all over the country, in every city, major city you live in, you know, Cleveland, New Haven. Uh, Boston, Philly, they had cable cars, but what ended up happening was there was a secret backroom deal again with these people with, I think it was like the rubber tire companies and the people in Detroit, the General Motors people that they, after World War II was they wanted to push automobile sales. So to do that, they did away with, they actively sabotaged and did away with all the cable car industries in the cities to promote uh infrastructure and highways and then it became suburbia and that's what happened in the 50s with the eisenhower highways and all that and it's just so amazing that this is yeah you're right it's it's a story that's that you know it begs to my own heart (laughs) well dion loves you know dion loves when you add
2: one of the things that dion loves is when you add like historical things like actual factual historical things into the, into a fictional narrative. <laughs> when yeah, it comes exactly. To
0: I have a work that's in in the process of being done right now where that's the exact same thing. I have a fictional work that it's I call it historical fiction because it. I don't know for some reason I like having stuff play in real history. You know, having a fake situation, yeah. and this is an example here where this actually happened. Where they're now they're like when I went to Cleveland uh, last summer with work. They were was it Cleveland? Where was it? St. Louis. They're bringing back the cable car industry because people are realizing it's a good way. It's cheap. It's affordable. It's electric. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's another way for people in big cities who don't have cars to get around. They don't need to have the subways. You know. So they're trying to bring it back. But it was this little thing where they destroyed the comp- entire cable car industry all over the country just so that they can push everybody get in a car, going on the highways. You know, yeah. Robert Moses in this in New York City. Building the infrastructure in suburbia, and it all played. You know, you need a car to be able to get to suburbia to get to downtown. So, uh, so
2: Roger Rabbit's about that, and it's also about the real
0: estate. Yeah, he wants. and That's another crazy thing because they say in where Judge Doom wants where Toontown is in 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 the fictional world of uh, L.A. Roger Rabbit is now where I think the 110 is or whatever the yeah. the um, whatever the the um, thingy the, the highway in in. in LA is called and that's true is what he that was what the envisioning what they ended up doing with urban renewal which I'm like a pseudo historical buff on all this stuff because it plays into something I've just written but it's like that's what they ended up doing in in the 50s and 60s they did this complete urban renewal where they would because people were going to the suburbs after the war and they were realizing all the industry was going with them and all these cities the inner cities were dying and you had all the people from down South, the African-Americans and stuff moving up to get the jobs. But since the jobs were leaving and going to the suburbia, you have all these now influx of immigrants or migrants, I guess you'd call it that had no work. So they, they, they said, you know what, if we can just demolish the, uh, the inner cities uh, and put like uh, malls, um, colleges, uh, big arenas to get the people in the suburbia to come back downtown. To get because the, they money yeah here. and they'll yeah they'll get the commerce back and then it ended up backfiring because they ended up knocking down a lot of low income housing and putting up these big skyscrapers that we call the projects a co-op city and it ended up institutionalizing they called it like the great ghettoization of America because then you end up putting I don't know ten five to ten thousand people in a big building and there's no work around for them they have no place to get anywhere and of course <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. of course it's gonna you know then it's it makes the drug dealers or the crime easier because now they don't have a fence or what they can just have yeah, a building yeah. so it, it ended up destroying a lot of the inner city culture for the n- latter half of the century and that's what they did here where that's what judge Doom's dream is to yes, he wants basically use, suburb- wants use, use the dip <laughs> to wipe out two. it's like to build a highway yeah there. it's like hitler's final solution he wants to to completely destroy Toontown and all that, and to make what does he say like for gas stations and and uh, auto, machi- you know, he really is forward thinking, and that's what guys like Robert Moses, the master builder, did in New York City, you know, and for better or for worse because a lot of these people we wouldn't have as we know these cities now without this happening. So yeah. it's a it's a double pronged sword. So I love that aspect of the relation to Chinatown, not just with the first Chinatown movie, but also that this was supposedly going to be the pseudo sequel that ended up coming out before The Two Jakes because The Two Jakes is like 1989 or 1990. So this is like the third installment before this. You know, it's all weird. It's all crazy. Yeah, so, your historical yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there you go, the
2: historical side of Roger
0: Rabbit. Uh, and then, you know, Jessica Rabbit's character I loved. She, to me, was much, again, we keep dropping what we've done. She was very much, like to me, like Madonna from Dick Tracy. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But we did that podcast last year, her character, where she's like, and that's a line right out of the book where I'm not bad, I'm just drawing that way. You know that lines in the book, and then the also the book with uh, her, Baby Herman, where he's like, "I'm a 50 year old uh, lusting a three uh, like a three year old dinky or whatever yeah, he says," yeah. and that's from the book. Well, too. I would st- I would admit, say that uh, as kids of
2: our people, of males of our generation, um, we lusted for cartoon characters. And I would imagine <laughs> that, that Jessica Rabbit was <laughs> that playing that Jessica on. Jessica
0: Rabbit was, uh, you know? and it was, it was, it was almost like obscenely forced in our face, Jessica Rabbit. I mean, yeah, if you yeah. think about. Um, I'll admit I had a crush on Lady J yeah I, I did too <laughs> I liked I love Scarlet she was the ginger but I liked the, the gruffness of Lady J's voice and the, who didn't love Baroness Little of the <laughs> Old Evil or She-Ra or um, Evil Lynn oh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. but you get Jessica Rabbit here and Jessica Rabbit is playing on all they want I mean to it's just that sex It's like oozing she's literally like oozing sex yeah. you know and, and they say they based her on the is it the Tex Avery short with the Little Red Riding Hood uh-huh, the, she, she played yeah. the singer of the Um, The Red Riding or whatever with the 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 Big Bad Wolf and Goes and Sees singing. Uh, But they had elements of Veronica Lake, Lauren Bacall in her character, uh, Rita Hayworth. They wanted that image of that 40s kind of pinup or film noir fame fatale in it. And it's so, see, it's like peddling this to kids because you have like the first thing you see of her is her leg and her breasts yeah be- and before you see her and then of course bob his jaw drops and it's just like oh my god you know that's that's the whole joke of the movie like how can she be married to roger rabbit yeah, yeah. and that's the joke in the book too and the book also plays with a really cool thing i thought was the idea of the tunes becoming uh, crossing the line and becoming real and that's a that's another like it's a um like a uh, a big no-no in the book or like some real taboo subject that like the tunes secretly want to like somehow magically become real you know yeah. and that's an idea you see in this uh in here where you know with jessica being you know so you know she's she's not a she's a tune but she she's ev- well, yeah i mean i guess she she's the only she bridges the gap she's
2: the only tune that's human in the movie right
0: yeah f- 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 so that we I see mean, in the book they talk about like say dick tracy you know, and you have, you know, uh you know, he he all the cops want his autograph and stuff like that. But he's a, you know, but he's a role model. But you get a lot of that class distinction you see, I think, that you saw like like the Ink and Paint Club is a play on the Cotton Club where the Ink and Paint Club is what is it? Uh humans only, but tunes work there and tunes sing and dance. Yeah. And that was at the Cotton Club in Harlem where it was in a black neighborhood but it was all black. Uh, black workers and black singers like Cab Calloway and yeah, um, so Scatman Crothers, but it was only
2: white clientele.
0: It was white only, you know. So that was a joke. Here. And there's a lot of that where it's like, so you kind of see the class system here. They kind of, and I don't recall offhand if there's any African Americans in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Not to say that that's a, a conscious decision, yeah, but, yeah. but you wonder if they be, you know, they're so looked down upon, you yeah. know, where it's like they have, they're it's Chinatown or it's tuned, you know, like they have their yeah. seg, you know, they're not taken seriously or whatever. You know, uh, it, it does subtly talk about class distinction and, like, you know, and, and put a mirror up of what was going on in the 40s and 50s or 30s. Those damn tunes. Yeah. But they say Jessica bridges the gap. She's the one that, um, in in our movie here, she's the one that's, like, the middle person, you know, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. in the story.
2: Well, I guess the baby Herman is a human, too. So.
0: Yeah, but he's kind of, like, a characterization of her. Yeah. But, so we're talking about Jessica Rabbit. You have that idea in... Um, the '90s. We have in 1994. This movie gets released on Laserdisc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Mm. And I've never seen the Laserdisc edition of this, but yeah. I've looked online and tried to look at the stills. And there's a couple of stills that I don't know if this is a joke from the animators, but there's a couple of stairs stills that come out where Jessica's naked.
2: Well, she's not wearing panties.
0: Yeah. There's the scene when sh- when they come out of they run out of Toontown and Benny the Cab and Benny runs over the dip and then he hits the pole or whatever and she gets thro- ejected from the car and when she like skids on it there's a scene where you can actually see her legs split. <laughs> and I was looking this time. And I was like, whoa, this is... <laughs> Magnifying yeah, glass up against the computer screen. On the VHS copy that we watched, there was a, uh, you know, you could see she's not wearing panties, but they cleaned it up afterward. But Those assholes. Those, but I, I guess there's like little Easter eggs. Like, you know, and then Man. in the Laserdisc version, I remember there's like a scene where either she's singing on stage or when she's in the uh, scene with Eddie... Where she's, you know, where she's rubbing up against him and all that. That, that for just the frame, one of those 24 frames, she's nude. But you won't notice it in a video because you can't pause as well. But with LaserDisc, it was the first time like we have with you DVD like and Blu-ray. By and then people were like, "What the?" And Variety pointed it out. Who, and it,
2: who the hell figured that out?
0: I don't know somebody. But then it some, it ended up happening where it some sixteen-year-old <laughs> kid. <laughs> Holy shit! And then it ended up happening where it sold out like hotcakes because people were wanting <laughs> yeah to see because it, you know? like the news did a story on it. Yeah, it was so all. So then everybody went out and
2: bought the LaserDisc for this. But it's, you know, it's, it was one of those. Urban legend type things, you know. It was, it was definitely something that we heard when we were. I did anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. when you were little that this existed. I mean, it's like the ghost thing, and and oh, three minute little three baby, the yeah. baby, or the or the hanging Munchkin, and, <laughs> and yeah, well, uh, Wizard of Oz. It was yeah, one of those
0: things where like if you look, you can see it. Um. Yeah, it was. It's so weird to just think that they threw that in there. So it's like another thing. That was like. What what did that, that? I
2: also heard, and I don't know, maybe this was a joke online, but I also heard that there was like one frame of Betty Boop's nipples. I don't in, know in that scene. That's too. really
0: interesting to think that she's. I still got Eddie, Boop. <laughs> Boop, <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah, you do, Betty. <laughs> you do. Uh, but it's great they had her come back and voice. Um, and then Mel Blanc. They said Mel Blanc. This was a year before Mel Blanc passed. And, yeah. And you had another actor. Uh, came and he was too old at the time to do y- Yosemite Sam. I mean, you think about, in this movie, he's doing, he's doing um, he does Daffy, he does Tweety, he does um, Bugs, he does, uh, who else does he do? Wh- who else shows up in the movie? He does a couple other people, but he didn't do Yosemite Sam because he was too old at the time, so somebody else came and did Yosemite Sam, and I forget the, act, the person's name, and he ended up doing Yosemite Sam until he died in 2016, but it was the only time Mel Blank ever did not do his own character while he was still alive yeah and um he he ended up dying the next year and you had what's her we said um uh may uh i forget her last name who did betty boop because she retired betty boop in like 1939 yeah that's a great reprise 50 years later to come back and you know she's still alive and she's you know she's still able to do it you know sure i mean that's the yeah
2: i mean if they're not if there's any of them are still alive it's not many, and I'm not talking about just the voice talent, like the animators and stuff. I mean, we were lucky enough to meet. What was the w- female? I forget the woman's name, but we met like a early oh, Jesus. pioneer, uh-huh. like a female. <laughs> yeah, she
0: was in her early 90s, and I just. Early, uh, but she was worked on the Looney Tunes and stuff. Oh, crap. And she had all these stories because I just read the Mel Blank biography. And I was talking to her about Mel Blank, and she knew it's like, you know, oh, that's like me and you like if you passed away and I'm talking about like, oh, yeah, I knew Blake. And it's like and I was I was and the story with Mel Blank is like every day he'd go to the studios trying to get an audition because he was a voiceover actor at the time and he was doing stuff on radio. And he uh, every day was going to Warner Brothers like, do you need work? Can you know, do you need? Can I have work? Can I have work? And the the same secretary every day just kept saying, no, no, no. And then what ended up happening was, like, one week that secretary wasn't there because he had died. And there was a substitute secretary in there. And then that substitute said, well, hold on a minute. Let me go grab Chuck Jones and text Avery. And they walked him over and were like, oh, just do what you can do. And I think he did, like, Roadrunners – or not Roadrunner – Woody Woodpecker at the time, and like you got a job, and that was the only reason Mel Blanc got hired to do the the Warner Brothers characters was because you know that one secretary that kept an eye on him every day was not there that day because the person had died. Yeah, so I was able to talk to her, and it was amazing to be able to like she's relaying the story firsthand. I'm like, well, I just read his biography, and I think it, the biography is really good. It's called That's Not All, folks, and it was done in like '87 or '88 uh right before he passed away because he was really trying to um have his legacy be continued in the family with his son noel blank who also shows up in that special we watched yeah
2: he's like i don't make it do the voice right over my
0: yeah i think he was really trying to push his son and i don't really know honestly what happened to noel blank if he ended up getting any work for a while as the um you know as the actor or whatever doing stuff like that but i you know i don't know because it ended up be uh other people and then at that same trip we ended up meeting um the other gentleman who did the voice of Goofy,
2: who doesn't now. He doesn't now. Or, he didn't you know more recent. But we also met the daughter of,
0: uh, of Bob Clampett. Bob right? Clampett, yeah. Who who was also the person who who uh, created uh, who did Clampett Tweety. create Tweety? And he ended up doing like a couple of other th- big things. And you but know, he
2: came up because you were saying that uh, that's the it was Bob Clampett's uh, Daffy that got used visual.
0: Yeah, because they wanted the old version of, uh, before he went. He broke away from. Um, warner and did his own thing uh bill farmer was the gentleman we met who does goofy now he's been doing it for years he didn't voice goofy i don't think goofy's in the movie but he didn't voice goofy in the movie actually but his first job when he got hired as do goofy was to sing at the end of the song movie they sang that big song smile darn Ya ya smile all the animators sang this big song together and um he was part of that, and that was his first thing. And we have pictures with him somewhere, don't we? Me and you have, with with <laughs> Bill Farmer, uh, who now does you know he's the classic as Goofy. And we uh, had one wacky LA trip. Yeah, that was a really good time when we did that. Uh, and then you know they they, they joked. Steven Spielberg jokes. This is like a this movie's almost like a movie for Walt Walt Disney, and the, their running joke with the Ink and Paint Club was that this was the place that Walt had gone and found the penguins that he ended up using in in Mary Poppins. You know that they got to work there. Yeah, yeah. And I don't remember what, um, Martha Siegel is her name. I, I don't know how we forgot that. I did a profile on her. I'll post a link to, to my conversation with her that I did on uh, my old podcast, The Podwits, where I talked to her and, and she was, uh, I don't that, geez, what year did we go to LA?
2: <sighs> we just spent the first half hour of this cast talking about how time has That no might be 2013 <laughs> or so.
0: I wonder, because she was in her early 90s then, and I wonder how, uh, she was 96 when we met her, so I mean she'd be, geez, she'd be almost hitting a uh, hundred now, you know. Yeah, I um, also met Bob Singer. Yes, Bob from Singer, Hanna who we, barbera yeah, who I did, a, we did another, um, I did another um, interview with him for for my old pod. I can post both those. Those those are great because people they don't see the light of day anymore, but it's amazing. Bob Singer, who was uh, one of the uh, f- pioneering character development people at Hanna Barbera, came up with a lot of the Scooby Doo villains. And he came up with, like, uh, character designs for Rosie, the robot on Jetsons, how they modeled her off of Hazel, and yeah. a lot of, like, the Minor 49er or the Creeper from uh, Scooby-Doo right after My Own Heart. He designed a lot of them. So we talked to him uh, in length. So I can post both those as extras. But uh, for us to meet a woman like Martha uh, Siegel and actually have a connection to Mel Blank, it's just it's, – yeah, yeah. it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess we could start wrapping up here. I don't know what else. I mean, sure there's tons of stuff, you know, I love the correlation of Doom where you find out that like they say early on, Doom came out of nowhere and spread his money all over town to be to, to buy his way as a judge and he, he's now the judge of a district of Toontown. But we find out that Eddie Valiant's brother was killed while they were hunting a guy who robbed the first national bank in Toontown and that was due yeah. to get the money to you know. So And
2: also one of the original pitches with the original scripts for it was they wanted to have Judge Doom was also the hunter that
0: shot Bambi's mother. Yes, and Disney <laughs> objected. See, that's another dark and, and Disney like, whoa, whoa. whoa. But that's another great where it's like that's really fucked up. You fuck with the kids' minds for <laughs> years to come to think about that. That's um, a, a weird what if. Yeah, uh, I said, did I say Joe Pantoliano or did I say John Pantoliano? He was Joe Pantoliano, yeah, I think our you old said friend John. Yeah, Joe Pantoliano. I'm sorry that he played the, um, the in the test from like whenever they did the. Uh, the $100,000 test thing. Uh they talk about later in in um in the early 90s, uh Disney Afternoon, they really wanted to use some of the characters from Roger Rabbit to do some of their their Disney sh- shows they had on in the afternoons, but Amblin Entertainment uh who was Steven Spielberg were doing deals uh, at the time with Warner Brothers to do Tiny Toons and Animaniacs yeah, yeah. wouldn't allow them at all to use any of the Roger Rabbit or Roger characters from the movie. So that's where that character Bonkers Bobcat came out of, you know, in the 90s, that crazy, like, I'm Bonkers Bobcat. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. A, he's like a hybrid of, or like a copy of Roger because yeah, they yeah. wanted to, you know, to kind of capitalize on the, um, the Roger thing at the time. Um, I don't know. I feel like we're all over the place and we probably have so much else to talk about, but I don't know what else to we can go off of really uh, well there were three shorts <laughs> made oh yes yes oh and we forgot about the deleted scene too the and then we forgot that we
2: were gonna f- circle back
0: yeah uh merry-go-round broke down that is a reference when he reads the record is that's the name of the looney tunes uh song that they play at the beginning of every, every looney tunes thing that's really funny where he's like that's a funny choice for a bunch of drunken reprobates <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, there were three shorts that Roger did after this movie. He did one. Um, what are they called? Do you have them hand? Tummy Trouble. That one was premiered, I think, before Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, I mean, back in the
2: day, kids, you would watch these things at the beginning
0: of every movie. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing where they, you'd have like a you'd have a short, you'd have like a three-studio short. You have a news You have a newsreel. You'd have an animated short, and that's where a lot of well, that's where all the Warner Brothers and Disney cartoons were made yeah. for at the time and they were made for adults that really r- weren't really made for children yeah because they knew adults would be watching this too on a saturday that's afternoon. Where all
2: those three stooges that we grew up watching on tv yeah all those were shorts before uh, and all the
0: serials the superman the batman serials at the time and all like the um captain video or whatever those like uh, buck rogers were all you know before movies so tummy trouble uh was featured before honey Ash Run to kids yep uh, and like what 89 maybe that was the same year as batman i think summer of batman yeah, maybe. And then next... Rollercoaster Rabbit. Is before Dick Tracy in 1990. Trail Mix-Up.
2: Yeah, and that was before what? A Far-Off Place, which was a movie I have no recollection of. I vaguely
0: remember that. But then Steven Spielberg got kind of mad. There was going to be another, a fourth one called like uh, Hair Super or something, or something Hair Super, and he nixed it because he got mad that they put that short in f- and not in front of his. He did an animated movie or, or something at the time. And he wanted a Roger Rabbit short in front of it, and they didn't do it. So he nixed them doing a fourth Roger Rabbit short. See, that's Spielberg. Yeah, he gets he. You
2: know, he, It's great when you have him in your corner, <laughs> but when you don't. Uh, and then the deleted scene.
0: Oh, so which we referred to yeah, earlier. Yeah, it's this pig scene. Now I remember when this movie first premiered on television. It might have played on Sunday night, since it was a Disney movie. Maybe they did like a. Maybe they did like a Disney sunday night movie yeah type thing. and then i think for time you say the movie now is running time say 145 minutes to maybe make that two hour window we talk about this and what yeah uh another podcast or two where they back in the old days they wouldn't delete scenes they'd actually you know they'd sometimes get like army of darkness or whatever you'd have a halloween a halloween or uh maybe it was even this could have been our conversation in our night of the creeps podcast Where they would add in, if they had, you have anything left on the floor we can add in to make it longer? With
2: Halloween, they actually went and shot seeds for
0: Halloween. The first Halloween? Yeah. To make it longer for the television
2: version. Yeah, because they were shooting Halloween two at the time when Halloween was about to hit television. So Carpenter went out with the Halloween two crew and shot a couple of scenes. One's with uh, Loomis talking to... The school the the board of the oh yes of yes the, of the institution <laughs> yeah uh one of them's uh lori talking on the phone um i'm trying to think if there's any others but so in that case they actually went out and shot new material for it in the case of something like army of darkness which is drastically different in a lot of ways They just use shit that got cut out like the
0: alternate ending and stuff. And the same thing with night of the creeps. And there's a couple other movies, but I remember when this movie Roger Rabbit premiered on Sunday night, they were promoting that They're like, it's going to have a deleted scene. And that was the first time I'd ever seen it. And then I'd never seen it since until 2003, they released this deluxe two, two disc uh, version of the movie with a widescreen and a full screen. And then they had three shorts that we just talked about. And they had this deleted sequence and it's this thing where, in between, we just said where, what is what's what scene is it it's, was. Uh, Roger, he brings Roger to the to to, to meet his girlfriend, uh, Joanna bar, Cassidy, Dolores, and they bring her to the to ruck gut room, which I gotta research what the hell a ruck gut room was because that's so fascinating yeah. from the Prohibition era. And he says, "Stay here, I'm gonna go do some research." And then the next scene you said was that hard cut of uh, Jessica Rabbit's walking into his his office and you hear a toilet, toilet
2: flush, and he comes out and he's without got
0: a shirt on, but he has his tie. In yeah, on. and it, and evidently what happens is. As you were doing a private detective, he goes back to the ink and paint club to sneak in to see if he can find the will in the room that they were playing patty cake in. But then it's a pretty cool sequence. Uh, The, what is it? The gorilla finds him. And I love that the gorilla is working for Dr. I was gonna say Judge Dredd, (laughs) Judge Doom, Doom. (laughs) Dr. Doom, Dr. Doom's are like, he's working for Judge Doom and Judge Doom's there with the weasels. And then Jessica's there too. And it adds this whole nefarious, like what the fuck's going on? Is she working for him? And then he's, what does he say? We're going to take you downtown. And he's like, oh, okay. Bob Hoskins like, I, I don't care. And he's like, no, I don't mean that downtown. I mean, uh, like, Toontown. Downtown Toontown, and, yeah. And, and, and he has this big aversion to Toontown, like, you know, ch- like Jake Getty's does for chi- Chinatown. And they take him to – and we don't know what Toontown yet yeah, is in yeah. the movie. So they take him into the hole, and then, like, what, the sun comes up?
2: And, yeah, yeah. And
0: then he gets thrown out, and he's got a sack like over his head. Yeah, uh, uh, the tunnel. And he has a sack over his head, and he, and then he takes the sack off, and he's got a pig's head on. Yeah, like an animated pig's head over his head. And it's a, and he's got and they call it he's got tuned, like they're fucking with him, like it's like when they they talk about the cops with police brutality, they tune somebody up. Yeah, yeah. You know, T U N E D. This is like you know he got tuned T O O N E D. So he runs home. He's like ah, and he runs. So you think he's running through wherever to get home, and he gets home, and then it, that's also a crazy thing where he's, he takes turpentine, which is an element of the dip, like turpentine, benzene, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, they're
2: all elements that they would use to, in real life to take the paint off of the animation cells. Yeah,
0: that's what his the element of the dip is, uh, his ingredients. So he has turpentine in his house, and he's taking a shower, and he pours it all over his head, and you can see through the shower curtain it dissolving. And then it's kind of freaky. that yeah, you see it's the, kind of
2: gross. You see weird. like the pig's
0: face fall on the shower and it's still alive looking at him. I kind of feel bad because, you know, who I am now. And it, you see it go into the drain. Yeah, and man. they say that Zemeckis says he's upset because that was the first sequence they had finished. Yeah, just uh, animation sequence. That, that was, was like
2: everything was all together.
0: Yeah, that whole part right there, and they they were really wanted to sell it, and I guess you know. But then he feared that it was too slow, and then the next scene is he's coming out, and Jessica Rabbit's there. So to alleviate all that, they added the flush sound, yeah. and he's coming out. He's like,
2: I'm going to head back to the office. And then it's, it's like a hard like cut. he took a to shit. The... And <laughs>
0: he's like, oh, Jesus, that tacos are killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to take my shirt off for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't even take my pants off. You know, it's like I had to, I had to completely naked. Uh,
2: just do want to mention in terms of sleepover movies real quick, uh, Joanna Cassidy, she's in Blade Runner. Yes. I was... She's in uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And then she later works with John Carpenter Ghost of Mars. She's in all kinds of stuff, though, television. She was originally – Thought of to be to play uh, Wonder Woman in the TV show before they cast Linda Carter.
0: Wow, she's absolutely gorgeous in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, she's got—I t- don't want to get too guyish here—but she's got a great body. She looks great yeah, in yeah. a lot of those shots. And
2: she was in those, she was not spring chicken by the time this was made. I mean, she got her start in acting, you know, a good ten years, maybe even you know, in the seventies, and all those TV shows and stuff.
0: And I might be wrong. There could be people who were. Um, know this better than I do but in the lore of um, in the lore of Blade Runner I think when they shot Ridley Scott shot that final cut or the ultimate cut whatever the last one is he reshot scenes and I think he actually used her yeah you might be right and she looked so good it was almost indistinguishable her from what she looked like in 82 or 83 when they shot Blade Runner you know for those scenes but yeah I couldn't think about what the heck uh she was in at the time, you know. She
2: plays like uh, Christina Applegate's boss, and um, when she get when she pre- starts to pretend she's a grown up and she gets a job at the off at an office, she plays. She's in that, and then she plays. She's in Ghost of Mars, uh, but she's in all kinds oh, of stuff. Oh, I forgot
0: she's in. Bo- I've only seen Ghost of Mars. I forgot she's in Ghost of Mars. This reminds me of right when you know Roger Rabbit came out. The big thing was like, oh, you know, uh, live action with animation, and I don't remember the name of the damn thing, but they did a TV movie with Snoopy. And it was one of these Snoopy... It was maybe... It's not Snoopy Come Home, but it's a movie where it's Snoopy's... Do you remember how Snoopy had, like, the brother with the mustache and that he wore, yeah, like, a Stetson yeah, hat, yeah. that guy? It was a movie about him trying to get the Snoopy out in the West, and, like, you know, where you have cacti and all that kind of uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. And this girl in, a, like, a 50s pickup truck, you know, like, picks him up, and, you know, the, the adventure becomes her trying to get him back, and it's... So you've discussed before how you think, you know, nowadays a Peanuts cartoon play slow to kids sure yeah so for me like uh the the christmas episode i think is great but other times um you know the thanksgiving one was kind of tedious for me the great pumpkin and then the longer ones like no dogs allowed or you know all the yeah, other yeah. ones but this one was two hours and when i watched it that night it bored the shit out of me <laughs> yeah. and i and i still had it we taped it and you know for my sister and i we watched it again and it was just one of these was like you know i don't even know if it's ever, ever come out but it was I was so excited because at the time Roger Rabbit had just come out and it was yeah. a mix of live action and I thought oh they're gonna do the same thing here it's gonna be amazing but it was just as real like it became like a like a Jack Kerouac road trip movie you know where you <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like where's Snoopy who's this guy with the, this this dude with a he's got like a almost like a um, what's what's the he's got like a not van uh dolly uh, uh you know he's got the dolly yeah, kind of mustache yeah. pen pencil mustache and yeah. i'm like
2: yeah well then and then you got the anime you know then you had the Paulo abdul uh oh uh, yes it's attractive yeah well that was great though <laughs> with
0: the yeah with them with the zoot suits on and that was amazing but um it, it, cheetah yeah it was really popular at the time and i'm sure there's there's other great examples of that but uh so we, we we said that we were going to talk about the the deleted scenes and then there's I don't know if there's anything else in here but it, um you know the, the the movie ended up coming you know we have a clock you know you have to have the, I love that that the the thing at midnight you have oh to get yeah. the will you know and it's another testament of Zemeckis the script is pretty good it's pretty tight i mean it's moving that's just tight games. you know and it's it's a you know I, I wanted to say it's 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 pretty good like it's it's a, maybe it's a Zemeckis ploy but then he, what did he do after this that, that make Back to the Future 2 and 3 might suffer you know that some people don't say it's as good as the first Back to yeah. the Future oh well, there are some people that love 2 I, I, I love 2 myself too. I love
2: 3 and uh, even though that's the one that gets shit on the most
0: May Questel Q-U-E-S-T-E-L is Betty Boop Questel um <laughs> and we also have June Foray who was one of the original voice actors who used to do like the Wicked Witch or the ugly witch in the fifties uh, in the yeah, Warner Brothers. Like going to hell there yeah. Whatever. She is the one who does the voice of the ugly woman that he kisses in Toontown. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that's yeah. her. And I love the idea <laughs> that's a funny scene. Yeah, I love the idea when you go to Toontown, you people don't go there because it's too dangerous. Because you look, you almost embody well, yeah. elements well, of yeah, a well, tune. He's
2: getting, like, stuff dropped, like a piano dropped on their heads, heads and, and all that. And that's a really funny stuff. joke where everyone looks,
0: you got a piano dropped, and says, oh, my God, he's just, his brother was killed by a tune, you know. But, like, when he goes to Toontown, I was, like, you know, the elevator with Droopy, you know, forth, forth. I, I love yeah, that yeah, Droopy's yeah. in there, a little, uh, the Tex Avery. Uh, I, don't th- I can't think of offhand if there's too many nods to the MGM. Like, you don't see Droopy Dog or Top Cat. Oh, that's Warner, isn't that? Yeah. Well, you don't see, uh, you know, Droopy and... Um, uh, pieces tom, to pieces you don't see tom and jerry no i don't think they could They they were able to secure the rights to that which is odd i wonder why they wouldn't because that is tex avery and mgm you know i don't know but i like the but i like the idea of when you go to toontown you you almost become the the cartoonish effects be uh befall a human in that which yeah, is yeah. If, kind of interesting um i don't know and that's i guess about it so then you know the movie ends up coming out and it, and it does like a crap load of money Uh, the budget ends up being like 56 million and ends up making like 329 million, you know? So that's a crap load of money. It's a lot of scratch. A lot of scratch comes out June 22nd, 1988, which is yesterday, uh, when this posts, because this posts on the 23rd. So, um, which is my wedding anniversary. Oh, <laughs> well, happy anniversary! Thank you very much. Happy Thank anniversary! You. Thank <laughs> <me> anniversary. <laughs> uh, and then we have Frank Marshall, who's a big guy. He produced this as well. You know, we talked about. Um, you know, he had a big part in this with Spielberg. That's like a trifecta. And Amblin went on to do a lot of other stuff in this. It. I wonder if if you did this nowadays, if this would have any of the same. You know, would it would it be darker? Would it be. Uh, not as dark would it be, you know what i mean it's like a good question you know how would they how would the tone Could be there would be some boardroom of you know executives
2: trying to figure out like how, you know who do they want to market it towards
0: did you ever end up seeing cool world not in a long time i i don't think i've ever seen the movie all the way through but i that i think is a little more religious to the book who framed roger Abbott where you have isn't that about comic strips and they go into the comic strip world i have an i, I have a like a gabriel burns as the is the artist He's drawing them and then like, you know, oh, yeah. Mel, yeah, I guess Kim Basinger is like the, the femme fatale in yeah, it and she comes to um, life. Ralph Bakshi. I yeah. That movie. And uh, Brad Pitt's in it. Is, so I, that, That's maybe they that got greenlit because of the success of this movie. Probably. Uh, yeah, very well could have. You know, well, I was like, let's do a
2: more adult version. Of this. Yeah. And that's, you know, so I, that, this maybe. <laughs> Ralph movie,
0: Bakshi's done some. Yeah, Batty shit. shit I yeah. mean
2: even Especially in the, in the early 80s I talked to when, uh, On the movie lovers episode of Cody Car- With Cody Carpenter Cody Carpenter with, with Rachel Cody Carpenter <laughs> We talked a lot about
0: Ralph Yeah, you, <laughs> you might You uh, might Yeah he's a, he's really messed up Batchy with like The heavy metal and all that like, hey, He's fucked up Well yeah Well yeah well, and, Some uh, of the stuff he did In the 70s Was, was pretty intense He did the Boba Fett well, did Sequence like with Star Wars The Christmas a Holiday special
2: yeah, what well did he do? Like Felix the Cat. Yeah, yeah, all uh, that. And then we
0: just did something else. He, we talked about him in a couple weeks ago. We referenced um the Boba Fett stuff. I don't remember. Yeah, he didn't
2: do that, but that was we were talking about how that's very much in the style of some of that Bakshi stuff from the seventies.
0: Oh, it was yeah, because it was the other guy. They were using those French guys for Fifth Element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ultimate titles for this movie were going to be Murder in Toontown, Toons, Dead tunes, Don't Pay Bills, the Toontown <laughs> well, that's Trial, It's like, that's like
2: uh, you know, the the wear plaid or whatever.
0: Trouble in Toontown, Eddie Goes to Toontown, all these kind of movies. Eddie goes to Toontown. So uh and then they were talking about a prequel that was gonna be take place in World War One World War Two. And then that they were developing that until like the mid nineties, but then Steven Spielberg kind of put the kibosh on it or <laughs> left the project because he realized he couldn't satirize Nazis after doing Schindler's List. And then afterward, up until fairly recently, they were talking about uh, Robert Zemeckis was talking about doing a sequel in 2015 or 16. He talked about doing a sequel to uh, Roger Abbott, and he was saying, um, he said that it was they were going to um, have Roger. Then it, it was going to be Roger and Jessica their years after this movie takes place. So it would be going into the film, noir war into the 50s, and they said the fe- the sequel would feature a digital. Bob Hodgkins but he would play Eddie Valiant who re- re- would return in ghost form and then he said the script was terrific and it would still utilize d- hand drawn animation but he said the chances that Disney, this is out of Zemeckis' mouth, he says that the chances that Disney would green uh, light the sequel would be slim because nowadays he explained the current Disney culture, this is quoting him uh, the management at Walt Disney it has no interest in Roger they, they are, and they certainly have no interest in Jessica at all you know, which is kind of true. They they have all their hats in Marvel and yeah, doing yeah. Star, Star Wars, Wars and yeah. stuff. So that was in ni- November in 1916. He was talking to the uh, Daily Telegraph in England. So, uh, you know, there's been years they've been talking about doing either a, first a prequel and then now a sequel. You know, they're talking about like uh, the first sequel, which I said was going to be a prequel. That, that was going to be called um, uh, something to do with it was going to be like the one Toon Town or the Toon Platoon in World War Two, like the, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 platoon only, you know what I mean? One of those kind of things. So, um I don't know. It would have been cool if they if they jumped on the gun pretty quick and they'd done a couple because even the book uh, uh the Gary Walter book, uh Gary Wolf book has a couple sequels in it. Uh it, the, the the prequel for the Roger Avert movie was gonna be called the Toon Platoon. It was gonna be set in nineteen forty one. So and then, then they retitled it Who Discovered Roger Rabbit. But then, and, and, you know, they even had Alan, Alan Menken write a song. He wrote five songs for it, and he offered to be an executive producer. And one of his songs he wrote for it called This Only Happens in the Movies was ended up being recorded in 2008 on Broadway actress Carrie Butler's debut album. So it ended up getting some use, but they ended up, then uh, they did test footage in the early 2000s. Uh, for who discovered Roger Rabbit, it was something between live action and uh, a mixture of CGI, traditional animation, and live action, but Disney wasn't pleased. Damn you, Disney. I mean, I remember them having like, uh, uh, what do you call that, uh, computer games? I remember there was like a couple, remember there was like a Nintendo or there was a couple like NES games and there was a computer game for Roger Rabbit, but you would have thought they would have like, you know, made yeah, You know, like uh, animated series for this. They would have did a couple. Like, they would have kept doing shorts that they put in front of live-action movies. But after after or that... At the very least, uh, I mean, I guess you're talking about
2: that's what happened with Spielberg was... I mean, you'd think at the very least of Disney Afternoon.
0: Yeah, they would have did it. But they, but I guess because Spielberg, Spielberg had the Disney Rooney with, tunes, with, with doing, Amblin. Doing uh, Tiny Toons. With Warner, they wouldn't... And, and he, he, owned, he owned a part of... Um, what do you call it? He owned a part of... Uh, the Roger character, he wouldn't let him do it. So that kind of sucks. But anyway, that's, that's the story of Roger Rabbit. That's all folks. That's all folks. So go check out some of the extras we'll have. we we'll, we can put a link to that, to that special, the, uh, hosted by Joanna Cassidy called like the, um, the secrets of Toontown. Uh, we'll put in the deleted pig's head sequence. And then the two interviews, uh, we did with, uh, Bob Singer and, um, Martha Siegel and, uh, whatever else we can find, we can throw in there. You know? But uh so, uh sleepover stars? Uh
2: I'd give it a good three and a half buckets of pizza. Okay. Maybe four. Uh, like I said, I, I didn't I don't have the kind of nostalgia you have for it and uh but uh it's certainly undeniable in terms of the
0: degree of movie magic they yeah, managed yeah. to pull off in this movie yeah i'd probably give it probably four because of a oh, four or 4.5 because it holds a special place in my heart and then re-watching it didn't disappoint i was amazed still with all the what they were able to accomplish which now seems just like a moot point like you know they should really be praised like you said bob Hoskins should have gotten an award for this oh shit i forgot my bob Hoskins story <laughs> oh god maybe it should be oh, for another day if, yeah if we ever get around another bob Hoskins movie you know, well, we can always just post
2: the picture, yeah. and then people can wonder why, why? What, the, what the what the story yeah. is.
0: I, evidently, I, I carried Bob Hodgkins on my back <laughs> uh, for, uh, in my Jedi training for for a week. You know, because he's he may have actually told the story in a previous episode. Yeah, I yeah yeah he was he he was at the time I was working on a TV show, a news show, and at the end I used to do like the end of the show would be like entertainment segments so they bring people on and they kind of segwayed out of that now which is sad but I'd end up meeting a lot of people and that's where I met like William Sadler and all these people and I walked into the green room one day and like with his feet he's laying on the couch like you know like a friend of mine Martin McHugh I always bring up his father's Irish and his father used to do you know, you put your feet up on the couch and you'd be watching TV like and he had his glasses on and I walked by him like that's freaking Bob Hoskins just watching our air like what the hell is he doing and he was there to promote Unchained, Unchained? Yeah, well, that Jet the movie. Jet Leap movie. The Jet movie. He was just fucking awesome. Yeah, he was there to promote that. And, and at the time, I had loved... Well, I still do. There's a movie called... Um, Felicia's Journey that I don't think has ever come to DVD that came out in like 99 or 2000 that he did where he's a serial killer in England and it's a really good story if you, or movie if you can get a hold of it and I said to him I love Jim Felicia's Journey he's like oh thank you you know not, not a lot of people talk about that movie although it was recent so he went and did the interview and at the end of the interview it's like these were the days where I was still wearing my leather jacket that we used to wear yeah, yeah. and um, I said can I get a picture with you and he's smaller than me so he's about 5'5 five, five or 5'6 five, yeah. I guess and you sort like the camera with the I still had like, it like was a like disposable It was a camera. disposable camera. So uh, I give it to the stage manager friend of mine to take the picture. And, and what he, Hodgkins is still on the set. So he's a good two feet above me and he's higher than me. So he just grabs me and turns me around and puts <laughs> his arms over me. And he kind of looks like he's, you know, so it's was, the greatest picture. Yeah. Ever so his him. head is, he, his head is over my like my right or left shoulder, and he's he's got he's his like arms like embracing. Yeah. Deon. And he's like got a big smile. So I took the picture because I was kind of surprised, and I said thank you so much. He said no problem. He leaves, and my friend gives me the camera back. He's like, that was the most awkward picture I've ever seen. <laughs> it is so awesome. And I was like, yeah. It's really like Dion's carrying him. It around looks like, like Yoda he's in my style. backpack. Yeah. He's like, he's like, <laughs>
2: And I was just so happy
0: he's yeah, doing Jedi training. With <laughs> you, know, Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins, you know, and he's certainly a Jedi after this movie. <laughs> so I'll have to post the picture in here too. Of me and Bob Hodgkins back in like, what is that, two thousand five or six, whenever that movie came out, Unchained or I think that was it's called Unchained I think maybe? So Unleashed. Unleashed maybe. Yeah, Unchained is that movie with Vincent D'Onofrio, the serial killer movie. Yes. So yeah, it was great. Great meeting him and he was so lovely at the time and so sad that he passed away in like two thousand fourteen of like yeah. Parkinson's disease. What's the what's the British
2: like mob movie that he did with uh,
0: Helen Mirren yes it's Saturday something uh, violent something violent Saturday or something god damn yes good movie late 70s it was it was huge and he at the time was they signed him on to play Al Capone in Untouchables the Brian De Palma because De Niro had declined the role but then when De Niro had accepted they already signed Bob Hodgkin so he got a full paycheck for nothing you know which would have been right after this movie so you know that's pretty cool where he didn't work for that year but hell he got paid So, but God bless Bob Hyde. Long Friday. I knew it was something with a weekend title in it. (laughs) I was going to say Black Sunday, but that's the Irish movie about the, the big massacre in Ireland. Anyway. Yeah. Go check We're out. Rambling now. Go check out Roger Rabbit. Uh, read, go and read and the check book. Check out Who
2: Framed Roger Rabbit. Also,
0: go check that out. No question mark because evidently that's that's uh, bad luck in movie terms. Of, so there's no question mark on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Interesting. That's bad luck in, mo- in Tinsel Town to put a question mark because you know don't dead, is Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid a question mark? No, that's a punctuation. That's a <laughs> statement. Well, I don't know if that was a question. If dead Man Don't, don't wear, wear Plaid. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so there's no question mark on it. And then go check out "Who Censored Roger Rabbit?" by Gary Wolf. Very good if you like Roger Rabbit. But check us out because um, in two weeks we got another great one.
2: We got a one that. Who
0: knows if anybody else is going to be into it? But we've been excited about this one for months. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's extensive research for like six months. We're like, I'm so excited for this. is going to be great. I don't know. It's going to
0: be so uneventful, isn't it? (laughs) But we're we're gonna love it, and we hope you love it. And uh, you know, check us out on Twitter. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out everywhere you know yourself Before you wreck yourself Because as Ice Cube says Taking blanks up your blank Is bad for your health But uh, Yeah Let us know uh, Tell friends about us And uh, Spread the word Spread the word And we hope you liked it And we have a really big summer Coming yeah. ahead We're really plugging the, We yeah, gotta yeah. deliver Because we're plugging the crap Yeah and, so. and I hope it's gonna be Not like anticlimactic Where after the summer We're not gonna That was it <laughs> we, blew, we blew our wad Sorry folks We're yeah. done We're all done and what did you tell me? Blow my wad is actually not a uh, sex term. It's actually like a crap game term, right? Yeah, I think I it's a game like, Yeah, you blew your wad. But so, well, we don't do it this time. <laughs> so Until the next time, kids. Later. To rush would
3: be a crime but nice and easy does it Nice and easy does it
1: Nice and yeah, you dirty mother. Every time a quarter rest is a murder. Nice and
3: easy does it. Nice and easy does it. Nice and easy does it. it. Every time.
1: Just put your hand on it, baby, that's all. I swallowed the cork. <laughs> uh, rolling again. E, 3 3 6 five, roll, take 8 mm.